How's it going, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Not Your Normal Read. This is obviously your host, Reed Jones. It's been a while. I'm joined by my good friend, Mars. Mars, how have you been? Introduce yourself. Here. This is Mars checking in again with the homie Reed. Uh, second time being on the on the pod. Haven't been on in a, quite a while, but it's good to be back. I'm feeling good, doing good. Yeah, I mean, that's great to hear. I mean, in all honesty, the last time that I even recorded a pod, you were on. Yep. Just been focusing and stuff. But we have a big episode planned today. Uh, Mars and I are going to go over a few NBA things as well as the very first non-NBA segment of the podcast. We are going to be going over the NFL. The three topics that we're going over today is Mars and I will be drafting. Yes, we are starting a draft. We're calling it the Reed Draft. Um, we will be drafting players that will be 25 or under this coming season. And to make it a little more interesting, we left out any player that's 25 or under that has made an all-NBA team because obviously those players would go at the very immediately. top immediately. immediately. Right. Especially we're only doing 10 players each, so – we're not having Luca, Tatum, SGA, Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox, and I believe John Morant would be the last one. Yep. Um, so that's just, I mean, that's six players right there. So that would be the first five rounds. This is going to force you to think, actually yeah. think. So I will say, a little preview, I only have three rookies on my 30-player big board. As in this year rookies or last this, year rookies? This coming, this coming oh. year rookies that have yet to play a single NBA minute. Um, after that, we're going to get into the NBA stock exchange. where We are going to be picking three players that we are buying stock in and that we're selling stock in. And then after that, we're just going to hit a rapid fire prediction for each NFL team, regardless of how hot of a take it is, how glaring of a take it is how obvious and stuff at the end of the day it's just a prediction for each team so mars we're going to go ahead and get right into it yes sir. the 25 and under player draft and since you are the guest i'm gonna allow you to pick first perfect um the first player i'm going to select i actually have him right at the top of my list i'm going with reese halliburton okay okay Go go ahead and talk a little bit about Tyrese Halliburton. What was your thought process of why you put him at one? Honestly, I put Tyrese Halliburton at one. Just and honest, this is definitely it was definitely like in the moment, but just the way he performed in that first exhibition game against Team USA against Puerto Rico, just the way he can, can command an offense this early on, um, even with being like traded early on in his career the way he's handled adversity, the way he can handle adversity, and just the way he can dictate an offense, even with players that he hasn't played with that's not on his team, that he's still learning their play style. His vision for a point guard at this point of his career is exceptional. And I just think that as he continues to grow, as the Pacers continue to build this team, I think they're going to probably fight for a playoff spot this year. I think he's just a great asset to have. And ultimately, that's why I went with him with the first selection. Yeah, I really like uh, Tyrese, not to reveal any picks, but he was actually number three on my big board. It was the second and third were very hard for me to decide. Um, I love Tyrese Halliburton's game. Um, watching tape of him, 
I honestly think that he might be our generation's Kevin Johnson, the old Suns point guard, mm-hmm. in terms of his scoring ability, passing ability. Um, Kevin Johnson was a little more athletic. Tyrese Halliburton is a little more of a shooter. Shifty. But I think that's also just the era that they play in. Right. Um, it Hopefully his career doesn't end up like uh, Kevin Johnson in terms of the injuries. So I'm glad to say that I my number one on my big board is still available. And I'm going with the no-brainer to me, Anthony Edwards. Ah. I think Anthony Edwards is, first of all, he's one of the funniest players in the league. Oh, um, but overall, when you say some of the best athletes that we have seen in both of our lifetimes enter the NBA, other than like the very obvious ones like LeBron James or Giannis, you know, all-time greats um, that – do well with the athleticism. If you're just going from an athletic standpoint, I think Anthony Edwards is up there. He's six, six. He's very built. You know, he's like 220, 225, over a 40 inch vertical. He averaged 25, six and four this past year. Um, I think that he has the athleticism and the frame and the overall work ethic to become a all defensive um, selection one day, especially since he is still only, recently turned 22 years old. Um, and I think that the, with the Timberwolves, um, I think they'll figure it out. This past year, Carl Anthony Towns didn't play that many games. It was the first year with Rudy Gobert. Um, I think still having D'Angelo Russell as a point guard, he may be better than Mike Conley at this point in his career, but I think Mike Conley is a better fit, um, as we saw after – the trade that Mike Conley kind of was unlocking more of Utah Rudy Gobert. And I, they didn't really do much in the off season, but I think that's just because they wanted a full, uh, a full season of kind of what this current roster construction is. Yeah, I, I do think, think, keep going. Uh, oh yeah. I think after just this season, it doesn't work. Uh, I don't really agree with Rudy Gobert next to Carl Anthony yeah. Towns. Like, Rudy, like, especially now with Minnesota, with everything that they gave up, they kind of have to eat both Rudy's contract and just him playing alongside Cat because you can't just abandon it after one year, especially with everything that you gave up. Um, but they're not going to be able to compete that way. Carl Anthony, you, you, you get Rudy Gobert as a security blanket for Cat because Cat is not a defender. But yeah, I think exactly. Minnesota's, Minnesota's problem is you have to challenge Cat to defend. Uh, you can't just be that tall, that big, and just rely on shooting from outside the paint all day and just not playing defense. Like we, 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 you can't just come up with not really an excuse, but try to just cover the fact that you're big, arguably your best player on the team at the time before they acquired Ant. You can't like your best player. You can't just make it up. Okay, well he's great offensively, but defensively we have to cover it up with someone else. You can't do that. And then also with Nas Reed still being on the bench who I think is a better fit than Rudy Gobert yes. because what does Rudy Gobert provide, especially with his heavy price tag? What does he provide for your team, both offensively and defensively? Because honestly, we've seen in the past Rudy Gobert get completely exposed in the Clippers-Jazz Clippers, Clippers uh, Jazz series a few years back. Yep. The Clippers went small ball, and they shot Rudy Gobert into PC He didn't know what to do. He didn't yeah, know the Clippers didn't even have Kawhi in that series. Clippers didn't have Kawhi in that series. Utah refused to adjust, and ultimately that's why they don't have Donovan or Rudy. But, yeah, I just don't see it. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting just um, after this season, Anthony Edwards' massive extension, five years, $260 million kicks well in. Deserved. 
and very well deserved. But also after this year, Carl Anthony Towns's um, extension kicks in where he will be making a little over 50 million a year. So after this season, you will have about 115 to 120 million dollars tied up solely between Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, Nas Reed, and Rudy Gobert. So that's $120 million just between four players. And at this point in his career, I don't think Rudy Gobert is making all-star teams defensive player of the years anymore. And that's one and a half all-star caliber players. I think that it just kind of depends on the season of Cat, the availability of Cat, and overall – Obviously, I think that Cat's role may be a little diminished just because of the growth of Anthony Edwards, but also re-signing Nas Reed. And I think at the end of the day, if the Timberwolves look and do the full build around Anthony Edwards, that it, it is going to come down to probably trading Carmichael Towns. He's younger. He's probably a better asset than – he's definitely a better asset than Rudy Gobert and Nas Reed. And at the end of the day, he's more of an offensive fulcrum, regardless of how – you feel about his defensive abilities, you can kind of mask that with a more three and D big. Like if Carmenthe Towns ended up in like Indiana and played with a Miles Turner caliber player, a Brooke Lopez type player, I think they would work just because you still would, you wouldn't have anybody clog the paint, but you would still be making up for the defensive prowess. So Halburn and Ant are going one and two. So who are you drafting number three? Um, number three, this is easy. I gotta go Paolo Bancaro, the rookie of the year. Um, when you look at a player like Paolo Bancaro, his skill set for a guy six ten, two fifty, it's it's insane. Uh the finesse skill, the bully ball, he can do it all already. I think his rookie season was a little underrated, I feel. Like, although he won rookie of the year, I just feel like people weren't kind of really paying attention to what he was doing. Maybe because yeah. he played in Orlando. Maybe because the like the name isn't as popular. Maybe people didn't expect him to go number one that year. But the kind of player that he is already, he's only going into a sophomore year, and what he's shown already. If Orlando has to do this correctly, they have to do this right. They have to build around him the right way because you don't draft players like Ben Carroll every year. You don't see nope. a player like him every year. When you watch this tape at Duke, one and done at Duke. But often, more than more than not, he looked like a veteran at Duke. Of course, you got to give props to Coach K, one of the greatest coaches, one of the greatest tutors in basketball history. He he grooms young men well. He gets them ready for the next level. But Paolo is, I feel like he's so ahead of his time, and he's so ahead of the course and how good he is already. Definitely could be a perennial all-star can definitely compete for MVP awards. I can definitely see him competing for a DPOI just because of his position and his tenacity on the way he yep. plays both sides of the ball. And he's still young enough. And he's still young. He's extremely young. Like I said, he's only going to his sophomore season. Yeah. And like I said, Orlando just has to do it right. I feel like the last couple of years with the drafting of all of the point guards they drafted, I don't know what they were doing at that point in time. Granted, a lot of those point guards are very serviceable, but when you have that many point guards, you have to shed weight. Unfortunately, one of those end up being R.J. Hampton. We don't know what's going on with Cole Anthony. I hope they keep Cole Anthony. Hope they keep Jalen Suggs. I feel like those two should stay for sure. Jalen Suggs, mainly because of his defense. But with a player like Paolo, you you have to build around him correctly because this is going. This is a generational kind of player we're looking at. Yeah, generational kind of athlete. You have to get him the right kind of help, and you know, keep it a young team. Add some veterans in and there, and Orlando. 
if done right, if done right, they they're they're going to be fine in the long run. But I have to go Paulo second just because of his play style and how good he is already at such a young age. Yeah, I mean, he to walk into the league at 19, 20 years old and instantly be a number one option and yeah. 20 points per game. And it's not like they were – the Magic were, you know, they were a little below average. But I don't think – they did better than people expected. Um, as you said, it's funny to me that Orlando has kind of already solved their front court um, yeah. after – Drafting so many of those big, tall players, the Mo Bambas, the Jonathan Isaacs, so on and so forth, to pair with Vucevic. And now when you have a front court locked up for the next three to four years of Franz Wagner, Paolo, and Wendell Carter, I think it's fine that they keep drafting these guards and just hope that one of them plays out just because they can rotate them, they can trade them for little veteran guards as they did with Gary Harris a few years ago just because I know they were unloading Aaron Gordon in but Paolo I think the main thing that people had a problem with Paolo this year was his shooting numbers um he was very poor on three-point percentage I believe it was 29 percent only shot about 43 44 percent from the field but at the end of the day 20 points per game and on low field goal percentage when those field goal percentages get to league average then that's instantly 25 26 points and I think oftentimes with a lot of rookies, we kind of uh, harbor on them being not being poor shooters, from, especially from three. For Paolo and his position, of course, you know, a lot of like we, we're in the era of positionless basketball. Everybody can shoot the three. If you're not shooting the three, you're not going to get that many minutes. And, of course, you want Paolo to stretch the floor. That's going to come with time and practice. And when you look at the kind of player and the kind of person that Paolo is, you know he's going to put in the work. So those numbers are going to definitely expected to rise. His field goal percentage is going to definitely rise, especially with the right kind of point guard. Get him those easy looks at the basket. Like I said, he can play bully ball down low. He'll body you down low. And then his finesse game is on point as well. That Those numbers are going to rise. Yeah, I mean, as a rookie, over nine free throw attempts per game. It was the first rookie with over nine free throw attempts since, I believe, Blake Griffin. And, and when you- Blake Griffin came in dominant. And when you yeah. look at a player like Blake Griffin, uber athletic, didn't really shoot the ball well, but that that when he got to Detroit, it took a while. But when he got to Detroit, the season he had with the Pistons, all-star, unfortunately, he completely tore his knees playing for the Pistons. But the kind of well-rounded game that Blake Griffin had, I can see Paolo having yep, minus the uber athleticism, the crazy dunks. Not saying that Paolo doesn't have any hops, but we all know Blake is mutant, has mutant like had mutant like abilities early on in his career. Yeah, I mean, being able to put the ball on the floor at that size and get to the basket and get to and draw fouls um, at such a young age is such a underrated skill, and I think that a lot of people kind of got started buying into the Jalen Williams hype, uh, very well deserved for J Dub, but it was more second half of the season same with like Walker Kessler once he started entering in the starting lineup and stuff but Paolo was the best rookie from day one um and now with the fourth pick I will be drafting a rookie um the way my draft process kind of went is I looked over um what I kind of want from this coming year but also for the next 10 years so with that being said I'm drafting Victor Wembanyama. Um, I think he is 
a for sure thing. Um, I don't know about, you know, some of these takes of he can be a top 25 player of all time. That's a very lofty, lofty expectation. But at the end of the day, if you can be a perennial all-star of make an NBA team a few times, and just because of his size and IQ alone, um, he's going to make multiple defensive selections, definitely be in the running for a defensive player of the year. And that's not even talking about his actual defensive abilities. We're just going off of size and IQ. Um, but Victor Wembanyama, I mean, seven foot five, 19 years old, um, eight foot some wingspan. The Spurs, they just l- keep lucking out with these big men. I mean, the, the three times they've had a number one draft pick, it's been David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and now Victor Wembanyama. Each of those big men have won a MVP defensive player of the year for David Robinson. Tim Duncan is definitely the biggest snub of defensive player of the year of all time of when you think about players that should have one, Tim Duncan should have one. Um, But I'm very interested to see what exactly the Spurs do with Wembenyama. And because of his three point ability and ball handling ability at that size, I mean, just being able to run, pick and rolls with him as your, as your both ball handler and screen man, pick and pops, you know, stepping out to the three point line, what he's going to do to the defense and just boosting guys like Devin Fussell, Keldon Johnson, Jeremy Sohan and stuff. And I mean, Popovich just signed a five year extension. You think it's any coincidence that Popovich waited until they got the number one draft pick to sign that extension? No. Uh, Victor Wembanyama is a, to me, the most for sure thing NBA player I have seen in my lifetime that I can remember. I mean, LeBron was in my lifetime, but he got drafted when I, before I even turned two. So if that says anything, um, then I'm just going Victor Wembanyama. Um, I think he's going to be 18, 10 with almost three blocks a game right out the gate. And you know what? I, I like that pick. Um, with my draft process, I didn't choose any, I didn't select any rookies going into this year. Um, but I do like the Victor Wimbiama selection. We haven't seen a prospect like Victor. And I mean that just from the tell of the tape, like you said, seven foot five, eight foot wingspan, insane playmaking ability, shooting ability, uh, defensive rim protection. We've never seen that in a guy this size, this tall, like, and for him to be drafted by the Spurs, that organization, the tutelage that he's going to learn, uh, the players that he'll be able to learn under, the veterans, the Hall of Famers, the legends. He he couldn't have fallen into a better situation and not even fallen because he was the number one pick. So he, he couldn't have gone to a better situation. Popovich still there. You have Duncan, Robinson, Ginobili, Parker, so many people that he's going to learn from. And all he has to do is just put the pen to pad, put the ball on the court, and just, just work. And yeah. the work would definitely speak for itself. As we've seen a lot with players that come from overseas, the European players transitioning to the NBA style of play is often very easy for them. For a lot of the, like Luka Doncic, Luka has gone on to say that the NBA is way easier than EuroLeague. And yeah. that's just a fact. That's not a slight against any NBA player. That's not a slight against the league. That's just a fact. The way EuroLeague rules are and the way they play their game compares to the NBA and the things that certain NBA players are allowed to get away with that we haven't really cracked down on yet as a league. I think Victor is going to 
have a decent transition. Of course, there's going to be his bumps in the road. Maybe he needs to gain a couple couple of pounds just to bot, like bang down low with the other centers in the NBA, which that'll come with time. We'll see how he pans out. But I do think that he's going to be a great NBA player. I, I hope, you know, barring any injuries, any setbacks, that he has a great, fruitful career. So I like that selection. Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, I mean, Victor Wimanyama, he's about 235, 240. That's not that skinny when you think about nba players it's just because it's that that weight stretch on a seven foot five frame it looks it looks skinny but at the end of the day he's 18 19 years old yeah so he has look at look at how Giannis's body developed look at how joe and b his body developed you know other other great big men and stuff not everybody's going to be coming into the league like David Robinson or Dwight Howard with yeah, right. volleyballs for shoulders. Um, so I'm, I'm with Wimbanyama. I think the only player at his size um, with this type of ball handling that we've ever seen is Ralph Sampson. Um, but I think because of the era that Sampson played in, they asked him to be more back to the basket as opposed to letting him put the ball on the floor and take advantage right. of Hey, I'm seven foot four in ball handling. You're gonna have to come out and guard. At the end of the day, whether someone weighs more and is stronger, Wembenyama is gonna have at least five inches on most people that guard him. Yeah, so he'll just be able to shoot over the top. Yeah. So who are you taking with the fifth overall pick? Fifth overall pick. Looking at my list here. Um, you know what? You you, you selected Ant, which 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 hurt. That hurt. But I'm going to go with uh, Jabari Smith Jr. Okay. And the reason why I'm going with Jabari Smith here is because I think with him, it's another just look at the tell of the tape. Uh, when you look at how he played at Auburn, 6'10", can stretch the floor, amazing shooter already. Like, he's an excellent shooter already. And when you, his rookie season, I guess you say, was a little bit of a disappointment, but that entire season for Houston from – Front management down was just yep. terrible. No one was Definitely focused. Agree. No veterans to try to not even right this shit, but just keep them on the straight and narrow until they can get to where they need to be. But you, as you saw in summer league, Jabari looks ready for his sophomore season. I think he had like back-to-back 35 plus, 35 plus point games. Shot the ball extremely well. He looked hungry. He looked very aggressive out from the gate. And I just like I just like, you know, the 6'10 frame, being able to step outside and shoot, being able to put the ball on the ground. Jabari Smith, I thought he was a little overlooked a little bit going into his rookie season. I thought he was a player that could have went number one. Of course, you know, Paolo going number one isn't bad at all, but I thought Jabari Smith was just as exceptional in his play at Auburn. Um, So, yeah, got to go with Jabari Smith. Yeah, I mean, Jabari definitely is one of those guys that you look at their rookie season and then how they came in in summer league and say they are better than almost everyone else out here. They yeah. do not deserve to be here after those two games. They pulled them and were like, you are good. And I definitely agree. But I love that the mentality sure that he had. I hate to cut you. I love the mentality that he had when he, they asked him, why are you playing in summer league? Why not play? Like yeah, this exactly. is basketball. If I got the opportunity to play, I'm a play that mentality and a player that young. You like to hear those things. You like to see things like that. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree. And like you said, Houston last year, just an absolute shit show all around. 
I mean, you had, you know, Josh Christopher making fun of the coach. You had Steven Silas just, you know, being all this. You had Eric Gordon, who was the only veteran on the team, not really being a veteran. He was like, I'm just here. He was pulling a Marshawn Lynch. I'm here so I don't get fined and stuff. And Eric Gordon should have been out there five years ago. Should have been out there as soon as Harden left. But I think with Emil Doka and um, what he does, what he did for Boston that one year, um, you know, all controversy aside, um, Emil Doka is a phenomenal coach. And I think that Jabari can kind of get back to what he was at Auburn of A, being a phenomenal shooter, especially with the signing of Fred Van Vliet. Um, the not just the hiring of Emil Doka, the hire, the signing of Fred Van Fleet, the drafting of Amon Thompson, um, another phenomenal playmaker. Um, I think you can get back to Auburn Jabari in terms of being a great shooter and a great defender. Because one thing any Emil Doka team will have is good defense. Yep. So I really, really like that pick. Um, now with the next pick, um, the sixth pick, my third player I'm going to take. Little controversial. I'm gonna take the Prince of Pudge, Zion Williamson. Now I get it. The availability, the off the court issues, um, you know, Mariah Mills, please be banned from Twitter X, whatever the hell we call it now. Um, he's living rent free in her head. Um, but at the end of the day, regardless of the injuries, regardless of the body, as he said on Gilbert Arenas, like, look, I'm, I was 20 years old with, you know, a hundred over a hundred million dollars in my bank account. I was going to eat. Um, but when he plays, yeah. I think that he is the second most dominant physical presence in the NBA behind the honest and the Um, 26 points, seven boards, five assists, in absolutely insane efficiency, like 60-some percent field goal percentage just because he is that much bigger, that much stronger. Um, but it's not just that, but it's the athleticism. It's how his vertical, it's his second jump, you know, yes, when he lands down and how fast he can get. It's his first deceiving first step when you go out there and you see his size and stuff, but at the end of the day, I understand the availability, but in terms of just injury, you know, I'm putting all off the court stuff out of my mind when I'm drafting these players. Um, unless you're Josh Primo, um, I hope you're banned from the NBA. Um, but Zion Williamson, at the end of the day, dominant, dominant, dominant. I kind of wanted to take him a little earlier, kind of wanted to take him before Victor Wembanyama, but at the end of the day, Injuries do come into play, but I can't let Zion, the talent that he is, slip too far. Right. Um, And I I like that selection because when Zion is available, like he had a stretch where he was putting up numbers we haven't seen, we hadn't seen since Shaq. And when you're putting up numbers that we ain't seen since Shaq over the course of like several games, that means you're special. Now, we want him to stay on the court, we want him to stay healthy. He knows what he needs to do in order to stay healthy, get back healthy. Because when Zion's out there, he's one of the greatest, one of the best players in the league. Top 10, without a doubt. 
But when I mean, you put before up, he got hurt, the Pelicans were like number two in the West. Exactly. And when he got hurt, you saw how things drastically changed. The Pelicans have a great team on paper. They have the piece. They have the right pieces, I feel like. CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, Valanciunas is still a serviceable big man. When you add Zion to that, they are a playoff team. They can make a run. I'm not saying they can compete for an NBA championship, but they can definitely do some damage in the West when everybody is healthy and out there at the same time. So I definitely, I definitely love that selection. So who now will you be taking with your fourth player? My the fourth player, I'm going to go with Kay Cunningham. Um, okay. I think I think with Kay Cunningham, you know, he suffered the injury, had to have season-ended surgery. But when you look at the kind of player that Kay is, was a number was a number one overall pick in a draft a few years ago. And being a bigger guard like he is, and now coming back, having a – can't even think of his name. Jaden Ivey out there right next to him, a full season of that duo, that tandem. And with uh, – who who did Detroit draft? Um, my mind is – Asar Thompson. Asar Thompson. Thompson. So, so, so Detroit, very young team. Kay Cunningham is an excellent point guard. I feel like at his size and his, and his play style – the way he can play, make off of Jaden Ivey, get Jaden Ivey those open looks, because Jaden Ivey is definitely the better scorer of the two, I feel like. I feel like Kane Cunningham would be more comfortable in that passing role, that passing ability, and he has a lot of weapons. Very young team, very unheralded, very young, very young, very young, very raw. Very but interested to see what Monty Kane Williams Cunningham, does. I'm definitely interested to see what Monty Williams does, because he has a lot of pieces that he can put things around with, very versatile players. You can play Cade at the one, the two, or the three. No matter where he is, he can always have the ball in his hand. So he's the point guard no matter what position he's playing out there in the starting five. The bigs that they have, Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart just signed the contract extension. I think Kay Cunningham is going to have a bounce back year. I think he's going to play exceptionally well. It's gonna, he looks a lot healthier. And I think overall, just with the addition of Jaden Ivey and with the addition of Monty Williams as the coach and having a full season with those guys together, I expect to see a great season for Kay Cunningham. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love Cade. Um, you know, I think Rashad Phillips said it best. Um, shout out Yoda, that he reminds us a lot, a lot of Grant Hill. And just it's very funny that he ended up going to Detroit and stuff. But I think the biggest thing to me that made me really high on Cade um, was this. He had an injury last year, only played in 12 games in the 12 games. 26 and 6, but Team USA select team. Yep. What Steve Kerr said, where Cade Cunningham was dicing and dishing and scoring so easily against Team USA, playing in that Luka Doncic, you know, mock role for if the USA has to play against Slovenia. So if Cade Cunningham is looking like Luka Doncic out there with like Brunson and Mikhail Bridges, all those guys guarding him and stuff and still only being 22 years, 21, 22 years old. And like you said, the addition of Jaden Ivey that can, like Cade has no problem because of the facilitator that he is. He can play on or off ball. He can play the one, two or three. They have a great big man rotation, very underrated in Stuart, Duran, Wiseman, Bagley. They got shooting with Bogdanovich, Burks, the offseason acquisition of Joe Harris Cade Cunningham can play with a backup point guard, Monty Morris, and now Asar Thompson. I do think that Cade is 
not only going to have a good season, but a really, really solid career once, you know, a lot of these other Pistons guys start developing and meshing well. And especially look at what Monty Williams did with Phoenix, right? Phoenix was bottom of the barrel year after year. And granted, you know, the Chris Paul trade helped, but Monty Williams was still the coach a year before Chris Paul got there. But and we and saw that in the bubble. Eight and zero in the bubble. Yep. yep. They were insane in the bubble, and that was I'm the very very high on Cade Cunningham. That was when they went eight and zero in the bubble. That was the precipice of things to come. Like that was just foreshadowing, I should say, of things to come for them. They were successful, couldn't win a championship, but now you know with the acquisitions of Kevin Durant, and then you add on Bradley Bill, and unfortunately Monty Williams isn't there anymore. I feel like they kind of moved on from him a little too soon. I feel like a lot of that stuff was out of his hands. Like, like Chris Paul getting hurt, like the season being the way it was, I don't really think you can put all of that on the coach, but hey, what do I know? Yeah, I mean, the last pod we did together was reacting to the Kevin Durant trade to Phoenix. Yep. So um, for my next pick, for the eighth pick, my fourth player, um, I am. Tr- I had a hard time deciding between these three big men. I had them all in the similar tier, um, but I'm going to go with the player that I think has the personally the biggest offensive upside out of these three, and I'm going Chet Holmgren. I understand that he hasn't uh, played in an NBA game, but he, you know, summer league last year looked great. This year just looked unreal. I think Chet Holmgren could come in this year and make all defensive team as a rookie. He, I think he is that special on defense. It, you know, he definitely looked like he put on those 20, 25 pounds and stuff. He doesn't really have the frame where you'll notice, but in just in the way that he was guarding certain people down low in the post, I think you could definitely tell that he was stronger and a little bit more mature. Um, I think that he is someone that can instantly be two, three, possibly even four blocks a game just because of his tenacity, his IQ, his length, and just that he he is gritty out there. Um, I One reason I drafted, I drafted him over the other two big men um, is I think Chet's role, his offense is going to come very fluid to him because of the personnel that the Thunder have and the already established um, players. I mean, they already have an all-NBA first-team guy. And Shea Gilders Alexander. They have a phenomenal playmaker in Josh Giddy. We saw what Jalen Williams did. You know, they just drafted Kaysen Wallace. They just, you know, they still have the other Jalen, you know, all that. I think Chet's offense is going to fall right into his lap in terms of putbacks, you know, pick and roll threes, so on and so forth. But the main reason I drafted him this high is I think that he he has the most I think he's a better shooter than one of one of the players I um drafted in terms of consistency and I think he's a better ball handler than the other and they're all kind of in the same tier to me defensively I think Chet just maybe has a bit more of a overall ceiling um so yeah I'm going Chet Holmgren I hope he has a great great season you know I understand that I have two players that have yet to play an NBA game, but I'm very, very happy that I got those two players. No, and I definitely I definitely like that pick. Uh with Chet Holmgren, when you look at 
how he played in Gonzaga. I feel like Coach Mark Few didn't really let him play his kind of play. It kind of had him more of like a just like a Rudy Gobert kind of player, just defending at the basket, scoring baskets in the low post. Especially but with Chet, Drew Timmy. Yeah, especially with Drew Timmy. Chet Holmgren is not that kind of player. When you look at a player like Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren has that Victor Wimbanyama kind of play style, that really tall, really lanky, can can put the ball on the floor, can dribble his ass off, can shoot his ass off, but he'll body you down low. Excellent shot shot blocker for his size, for his age. And like you said, with the personnel that the Thunder have and players like Shea and Giddy, like you said, he's going to be spoon-fed. Like, everything's, like the offense is going to be so easy for him including with the other rookies that they have brought in and all, just all the young talent that they have. The Thunder, who almost made the playoffs last year, let's not forget, they were in a play-in game. Like, with Ch- if they had Chet Holmgren last year, they might have beat Minnesota. They might have I think beat they Minnesota. wouldn't have even been in the play-in if they had Chet last year, in all honesty. And you know what? They, honestly, you might be right about that. Like, with a player like Chet Holmgren, you add that to the caliber of a Shea Gilgis-Alexander, you have your duo with, of course, with Giddy, but you have your main tandem for the next decade. Like, Shea's that good. Chet is that good. I think it's going to be seamless. I think with the year off of, like, being hurt, of course, that was unfortunate, but I think with the year off, that gives him more knowledge to the game. That make that gives him more understanding of the playbook and more receptive to what is to come and what is expected of him. I think he's going to have an excellent season. I think he yeah, might win that. a rookie of the year. Yeah, we've seen that year off benefit a lot of players in the past. Blake Griffin, Joel Embiid, Philly Ben Simmons. Yeah. You know, but pre-Hawk series Ben Simmons. Um, but one reason I think that Chet maybe ha- has a better defensive upside than Victor Wembanyama is Chet does not care. He He goes out there and he is in your face. He is gritty. He is not someone to be taken lightly um, just because, but he just cares so damn much. Um, so that's why I'm taking Chet Holmgren. So now who will you be taking for your fifth player? Fifth player, I'm going to go a big as well. I'm going to go with Evan Mobley. Uh, I yep, think he was in that tier with Chet with me. I, I love Evan Mobley's game. I love I love the way his brother played in the summer, in the summer league. Isaiah Mobley hooped his asshole. But Evan Mobley is just a, a great big. He compliments Jared Allen very well. My only concern was just how the way the Cavs got dominated down low by the Knicks in the playoffs. So they, him and Jared Allen both have to do a, a bit better in not being soft down low because as a big, you have the rebound. You you can't not be a rebounder. That's what they pay you the big bucks for. That's why you're a big. You can't just be a big out there and just not give any effort whatsoever in rebounding. But I think Evan Mobley and with the continue, continue, continuously playing alongside Jared Allen, playing with Darius Garland, I think his face-up game reminds me a lot of Chris Bosh being able to step out, shoot the mid-range when asked upon him, being able to get down low and fight for position, get those easy looks down low. It comes very easy to Evan Mobley. You don't really see a lot of pressure on Evan Mobley's face. Basketball is just basketball to him. When you grow up in the same house as another brother that is just as tall and just as big as you, Body getting like bodying down low all the time becomes second nature. So I love Evan Mobley's game for his age. I love the kind of player that he's going to become and that he is becoming. I think next year he's going to put it all together. He's going to be even better. And I just I just love the selection right here for Evan Mobley. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, I had a hard time trying to decide between Chet Mobley and 
another big. Um, and I ended up going Chet just for personal preference. Um, solely because, like you said, I Mobley, the way that he played in that Knicks series was a little concerning when, and now granted Mitchell Robinson is a phenomenal defender and rebounder, yep. but when you are basically looking unplayable against a player of the caliber of Mitchell Robinson, and that's not a knock against Mitchell Robinson. I'm just talking about when you're in the same conference as a Giannis, as an Embiid, as an up-and-coming like Paolo and stuff, and if you want to make those deep runs, you need to be a better rebounder at that size. Now, phenomenal defender, just finished third in defensive player of the year. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest thing with Cleveland, we kind of saw it in the way that they their offseason went, you know, getting Max Drews, getting George Niang, re-signing Levert to kind of rotate those three with Okoro for that fifth starter, yeah. um, is they ask Mobley to be the perimeter defender a little too much when I think Mobley would kind of do better in a Giannis-like defensive role of you have the shot blocker big down low with Jared Allen, but you need a perimeter defender, maybe not on the caliber of Drew Holiday per se, just because that's very hard to come by, but right. you need that perimeter wing stopper and allow Mobley to roam. So I really like that Evan Mobley pick. And now to for the 10th pick and to go 50% through the draft, I will not be taking the other big in that tier. I will be taking LaMelo Ball. Um, it looks like you were hoping that he fell to you. Um, LaMelo Ball is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Yeah, I'm very interested to see what Charlotte does. I hope that LaMelo can make the playoffs. But at the end of the day, when you are 21 years old, he's turning 22 in like two weeks because he's like a week, young, week, week and a half younger than me. Um, when you're that age and you can do 23, 6, and 8, and at that height, that and I think the eight, the eight assists could definitely be higher with the right personnel around him. Right. You know, not the James Book Knights, Kai Jones's, JT Thor's, um, but more so the, you know, Miles Bridges is coming back. Um, we'll leave it at that um, with that whole thing. But Mark Williams has very good upside. Um, Terry Rozier is a good score. The Brandon Miller draft pick. But at the end of the day, LaMelo Ball is the fulcrum. He is the future in Charlotte. He was rookie of the year for a reason. Um, now, granted, I think Anthony Edwards is a better player. And Ant lost rookie of the year as I had Ant with my first first player selected in this draft. But at the end of the day, LaMelo Ball, I think, will be a perennial all-star, all-NBA player. and once the right players are around him, there is no reason that this guy cannot be 10, 11 assists per game. Right. And for the shooting that he has, and because of his size, I think that he's an underrated defender because he's bigger than most people that he guards. Um, phenomenal shooter. Um, I'm going LaMelo Ball. I like that pick. I like that pick. And one thing that I'm excited about with Charlotte is – not that I'm excited that Jordan sold his stake in the team, but I'm excited for the future. I think with Michael Jordan, they got a little lackadaisical and careless with how they wanted to build their team. LaMelo Ball is a perfect centerpiece. That's your franchise. That's your cornerstone. Mark Williams is an excellent center for them, for that kind of team. He's athletic. He can roam. He can defend. Perfect. 
when you add a player like uh, Brandon Miller, a score, two guard, three, can shoot the ball really well, can score, can light it up. You, I think back to Detroit, Kay Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, yep. LaMelo Ball, Brandon Miller. Take the pressure off of LaMelo, not only for him just to be a scorer, but let him focus more on the facilitator. Because as good as a guard can be with facilitating, but a guard that can also score, because you know LaMelo can light it up as well. But when you make defenses cradle down to just one skill, you have to worry about the passing. For example, Luka in Dallas. Luka is amazing as both a facilitator and a scorer. But because Luka doesn't really have that number two, Kyrie is now there. It's it's not easy because Luka is just Luka. But for certain players like Luka, it's easy to just crack down on one. Okay, he either has to pass or score. Can't do that with Jokic, can't do that with Luka. But with LaMelo, they can because LaMelo didn't have that necessary number two. Hey, go get me 20. I'm in hell yeah. right now. I'm going to add these 18 assists, but I'm shooting nine for 21. But when you put a player like Brandon Miller next to LaMelo, I think they're going to mesh immediately because Brandon Miller fits LaMelo's play style. That's an excellent backcourt. Defensively, we're not going to talk about that. But yeah. offensively and what they can produce for both themselves and each other, I think is going to work perfectly. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a team that's going to give up 120 points but could easily score 130 points. Oh, yeah, they're definitely... What you think of LaMelo and Cade, I think kind of how we saw with Tyrese Halliburton this last year. Tyrese had the game come a little easier to him. He was getting more assists. He was able to pick and choose his scoring spots. That's because he had better, more consistent personnel around him as opposed to what LaMelo had in Charlotte and what Cade had in Detroit. So once those that personnel starts improving or new players that are drafted, new players that are signed, I think that they can be on par. I mean, Cade and LaMelo before Halliburton this last year had already had better, you know, seasons, better careers and stuff than Halliburton. And that's not a knock on Halliburton, but that's more a knock on the players that those front offices surrounded those superstars with. Exactly. So who will you be taking with your next pick? Uh, looking at the list here, um, I didn't really have my list in any exact order, but just best my like, best player available because I knew you were going to take some players that I wanted and you already taken too. But I'm going to go with Tyrese's teammate. I'm going to go with Benedict Mathern. Now, okay. this is a definitely an interesting selection, and I'm going to tell you why. Like, Benedict, like the, the way Benedict played, for his rookie season, as a player who spent most of his time coming off the bench, he played like a player that you have to start eventually. Benedict Mathurin is, I feel like, a player that can play in any situation. He's very active on both offensively and de defensively. He gives 110% every single time. Every opportunity, he doesn't take it for granted. He's an excellent scorer. He can shoot, he can defend, and he's very, very athletic. For the Pacers, they're very young, but they can compete and they can play. They're going to compete for a playoff spot, like I said, with Tyrese leading them. But when you look at Bennett, he averaged 19 his rookie year. Four rebounds, an assist to two, shot 41% from three. He attempted, yeah. two, he attempted almost three threes a game, shot 41% from three as a rookie with only three attempts coming off the bench. That's great. That's excellent. And 
for him being the number six pick in the draft and for where he was positioned to be. And a lot of people weren't really, you know, I wouldn't say they were expecting much of him because I think he was more or less like, you know, coming out of Arizona. It was just a yeah. lot more players with a lot more popularity. He played way better than people expected him to play. And I think that's going to oh, continue. Yeah. I don't see him having a drop off because he seems to be very comfortable in his role. I can only expect him to get better and get more minutes, get more playing time, more time and starting lineup next season. Yeah, no, I, I'm very, very high on Matherin. I mean, some of his scoring this past, this past year was unreal um, coming off the bench and just having a player like you're the first overall player selected in this draft, Tyrese Halliburton, just able to feed him. Um, you know, I'm really high on Matherin as a scorer. Um, surprisingly, I actually did not have him on my board. Um, but that is a mistake by me. I definitely should have. Um, but again, I mean, 16, 17 points per game off the bench as a rookie is very, very, very special. Um, and he's just going to continue growing. Um, I mean, if you're 19, 20 years old and you can score 17 in limited minutes, then who's to say what he can do in the starting role? Right. Um, with the next um, overall pick, I will be drafting that third big man in that tier of Chet and Mobley, but I will be taking Jaron Jackson Jr., the reigning defensive player of the year. Um, if if this if we did this last season, he wouldn't have been as high to me. Um, a, because he was coming off an injury, but B, this was kind of the first year in his career where he figured out, and it still was a slight problem, but where he figured out not fouling as much. He was a very, very frequent fouler. We saw just based off the minutes played, you know, he's only getting like 25, 28 minutes per game because he was averaging like four or five fouls. So they would have to pick and choose and sit him for a while, but. To only play in a little over 60-some games and be the easy pick for defensive player of the year um, over Brooke Lopez and over Evan Mobley, who played more, just because of how dominant he was defensively, I think was very, very um, insane to me. I mean, three blocks a game, he was still, like, top five in total blocks, and he played, like, the least amount of games by, like, 19 less games than the other four in the top five. Um, great shooter. Definitely helped them in their postseason run. I know that they hit a brick wall with the Lakers. Um, but 19 points, seven boards um, is very, very solid for Jaron Jackson. I'm, the one reason I picked him and had him a little higher on my board is I'm very intrigued to see what he is going to do with a bigger offensive role in John Morant's absence this coming season with Jaw's suspension. Um, you know, Jaw figures that out. Um, but I'm very interested to see what Triple Day does Triple J does. Um, he is a generational defender. He is a great shooter. He can play the four next to Steven Adams because of his able to ability to stretch the floor. He's able to play the five when they want shooters surrounding, you know, John Moran and stuff, but I'm going Jaron Jackson Jr. I like that pick. Um, I didn't surprisingly, I did not have Jaron Jackson on my list. Uh, that is a 
terrible mistake by me, but like I said, I love that selection. Jaron Jackson Jr. is one hell of a defender, one hell of a shot blocker. And when you challenge every shot like Jaron Jackson Jr., there's going to be a lot of fouls that get racked up. He has to learn and be consistent in the fact that you can't block everything. Having four to five blocks a game, three to four or five blocks a game, is that's amazing. That's that's great. But he has to learn that you can't block everything because you ultimately take yourself out the game. And when you take yourself out the game, you kill your own momentum. And when you kill your own momentum, that allows the other team to get back involved in the game. And you can't do that when you're Jaron Jackson. He is too special of a talent to constantly be in foul trouble. He'll, he'll of course, he'll get better at that. He'll, he'll continuously get better at that because he he's great. And he wants to be great. He wants to stand for. He wants to continue to play more and more minutes. And of course, with Ja being out the first 25 games here, it's going to be interesting to see what he does being essentially the number one option, unless Desmond Bain takes that role. But I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to do just. I think he's just going to do just fine. He's not going to miss a beat defensively because he's just that damn good. So yeah, I definitely love that selection. Yeah, um, I'm very interested to see what him and Bain can do, especially with the veteran presence of Marcus Smart being added this offseason. So three players left each. Um, so who will you be taking now? Um, I'm going to go. Okay, now this pick is strictly me being a huge fan of them. Shout out to Key from Twitter. If you know, you know Spurs fam. I'm going Keldon Johnson. I'm a huge Keldon Johnson fan. I feel okay. like he is underrated in regards to just players under 25. He's going into his fifth season, but he's only 23, not even 24 yet. He averaged 20 last year. Only five rebounds, only three assists. Three, He shot 36% from three, if I'm correct. And I think he can still get better. That's the crazy thing. Going into your fifth season, 23, 24 years old, he can still get better. I think that Keldon Johnson can honestly be a 22-8 and eight kind of guy or a 24-8 yeah. kind of guy. He's, I feel like he's that good. He's definitely going to be a cornerstone piece for San Antonio in the future. And I think I'm more interested into how he plays alongside Victor. Jeremy Sochan, excellent defenders, definitely their Bruce Bowen of the now When you, in terms of just defensively and how pesky he is, how irritating he is, and how annoying he is on Twitter. Um, he definitely has you know get under people's skin. But going back to Keldon, I, I'm just a huge Keldon fan. Like, uh, I, I think it was a game... Honestly, it all started when I had him in fantasy a couple years ago. Made a trade for him at the deadline. He was giving me like 38 to 40 points every time he went out there. So I think that's where my fan comes from. Shout out to you, Keldon, for saving my fantasy team. But overall, Keldon is just, he's a surprise, I feel like. Because for a lot of people, you feel like you think he's been around forever. Already been in the league four or five years, but he's so young. Still has a lot of talent. And he's in a great situation. When you're around Popovich, when you're around those legends, and the tutelage is there, like when you like you have to be able to take effect of that and go out there and get that knowledge to get better and understand what you need to do to get better. I think he has to become a little more active on rebounding because I think he can be a way better rebounder than he is. Only five rebounds a game. I think he can get more. It's gonna be a little tough now with Victor being out there, but overall I think he's going to overall I think next season he's gonna be better. I, I hope to see him still average along the lines of 20 because with Victor being added, his shot attempts are def- destined to go down. But I want him to stay aggressive, continue to shoot the ball from three. He's a 36% shooter this past season. So that's great. If he can stay along the lines of that, that's great. That's cool. 
but I just love the kind of player he is, the way he is able to cut back door, um, even being a little undersized, I guess you can say at the four a little bit. I think he's primarily probably going to play more of the three, with, but also with the sales. So the Spurs have a lot of wings. They have a lot of very versatile wings, and Keldon fits into that rotation perfectly. I think he's going to have a great season next year next to Victor. I think it's going to take a lot of pressure off of him. He might not. As a, I'm going to backtrack on it. He might not get any more rebounds than five because it, it, with Victor now, it might take that role. Necessarily, he won't have to worry about that. He'll just worry about scoring the ball. I feel like when you look at a player like Keldon Johnson, he can be like their Channing Fry, essentially. A, a three or four that can come out there, small ball, maybe shoot three, knock down a lot of shots, do all the little things, the cutting, the setting screens, going back door, not necessarily – a non or make like a non-passing Boris Dio, just all the little things outside of passing. Because we know when Boris Dio played for the Spurs, Boris Dio was known for his passing, especially in the post. Boris Dio was a hell of a passer in the post. Keldon, not really known as a passer, but like I said, all those little things, the scoring, the cutting back door, the uh, the pesky steals, the timely threes. I feel like that's going to be more of Keldon as well, and I definitely can't wait to see it because I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I just got to get his jersey, but I'm definitely a fan. Yeah, I mean, draft with your heart. Personal pick, you got to take it. Um, really, really high in Keldon Johnson. I think it really came around when he was promoted to the uh, 2021 gold medal team. Um, now, granted, it could have also been that that coach was Greg Popovich and he wanted one of his guys, but I think Keldon Johnson is someone similar to how I said that, like Chet Holmgren, the game's going to come easy to him because of the personnel that's already there. I think um, the game is going to come easy to Keldon. He can play the three. I think he is going to start at the three because of Sohan and Wimanyama, even though um, Keldon and Jeremy Sohan are interchangeable at the three and four. Um, Absolutely. But very, very high in Keldon. I think everything you just said took the words right out of my mouth. Definitely agree. Um, I love Keldon Johnson a lot. Very, very underrated. And speaking of underrated, with my next pick, I am taking one of my favorite players in the NBA. I'm taking one of the most underrated players in the NBA. I'm taking Franz Wagner for the Orlando Magic. He is only 22 years old, yep. 19, 19-5-4 this past year. Um, kind of a Swiss Army knife. You know, I'm looking at his uh, shooting numbers. He This year he shot... Basically 50, 36, and 84. Next to Paolo, that is very, very great. I think he is a perfect number two. He's a Swiss Army knife. Franz Wagner is the definition of he can do everything really good, but nothing great. And I think he for can, he can defend, he can pass, he can shoot, he can score, and he's fine. He's on ball. He can be off ball because obviously with a guy like Paolo and the guards that they have and Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz and stuff that facilitate and initiate the offense. He's fine being off the ball. He's a very versatile defender, 6'9", 6'10", pretty good build, um, very underrated, but I think he is a perfect – he's the type of guy that every team in the NBA is looking for. How can we have a guy that's like this? And no, he's a perfect number two right. next to Paolo. Swiss Army Knife does everything really good, nothing great. And I think for a player like Franz, for with his skill set and what he is good at, which is, like you said, everything, 
playing alongside Paolo and Wendell Carter Jr., he doesn't have to worry about, you know, all the, the necessary, like, the, the things that the best bigs in a t- on a team will worry about. He reminds me a lot of Al- Alper and Singoon. Hopefully I said that correctly. Just yeah. in their ability to do everything correct. Like, just all the little things they do great. Singoon in Houston, he could score. He could pass. And defend a little bit. He's going to get better at that. But they can do everything so well. Like, there's no number one thing that you can pull out and say you like about this player. Because if you like players like Franz Wagner, you know that Franz Wagner, you like everything about him. Because they, there's, like, there's not one thing that they're poor at. And with him being still fairly young, and he'll grow alongside Paolo. He'll grow alongside Wendell Carter Jr., who is still fairly young. Franz Wagner is definitely a great pick. And he's playing with his brother over there as well. So you got to love that. Yeah, I mean, I just pulled up my tweet from the before the draft in July 28th, 2021. I compared Franz Wagner to Thaddeus Young. And I uh-huh. think that that is very holding up to the to this day, Thaddeus Young. I actually like Remember that, that funny graphic where it was like, oh, they get very, very specific, you would see on Twitter. That's kind of what Franz Wagner, like there's going to be a Franz Wagner graphic like three years from now that says that exact like, thing. It was like LeBron. I want to say it was like LeBron. I want to say Bird, Larry Magic, Bird, and like Magic. Some, someone else. And, and then Thaddeus Young. Young at the very end. I think it was like 250 plus points, 50 blocks, 50, something crazy like that. But when you look at a player like Thaddeus Young and what Thaddeus Young has done in his career, he's still in the NBA. All these years later. Yeah. Why? Because he's a role player that can do everything well. Thaddeus Young is not necessarily great at one thing, but if you need a timely three, you got Thaddeus Young. You need somebody to cut back door, Thaddeus Young. You need somebody to make the perfect pass at the right moment. Thaddeus motherfucking Young. So I definitely love that comparison. Franz Wagner can definitely do all that kind of shit and more. So yeah, love that comparison. It's definitely living up to it. And the graphic is fucking hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I think that graphic's going to come for Franz Wagner one day, but I, I'm i not saying that I think Franz Wagner has all-star upside. He could sneak into a few um, if Orlando does very, very well and if he continues progressing the way he has. Um, but I just love Franz Wagner. Um, so who will you be taking with your next pick now? Uh, my next pick, I think we have two left? Yes. Okay. I'm so going to go Tyrese Maxey, and I'm going to tell you okay. why. James Harden doesn't want to be in Philly. As we know, James Harden is a quitter. I'm going to just I'm just put that out there. He is a quitter. He's quit on He's multiple franchises. Suit on. Um, when things don't go his way, and Kobe Bryant said it, long live being, but James Harden's style of play, you're not going to win a championship that way. Their best chance was in Houston. Who did they have? Chris Paul. What happened? Chris Paul got injured. And what did they do? Missed 27 consecutive threes but also mike d'antoni was the coach and as we know mike d'antoni is known for one thing and one thing only that is offense never defense james harden doesn't play any defense dribble 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 and the shot clock shoot it works it looks good when it's falling but it's not gonna get you to where you need to be no matter who you put him with it was in b he played with the mvp still didn't work dwyer howard didn't work chris paul didn't work he has to change. James Harden doesn't want to change. He wants an easy way to a championship. The Clippers yeah. aren't going to provide that if it, even if he does go over there. But if he is traded, and when he is traded, Tyrese Maxey is more than capable of leading an offense from the point guard position. Tyrese Maxey, for his age and the 
He's not scared of the moment. He can shoot the ball extremely well. And he compliments Embiid because Tyrese Maxey can go and get his own. We know that Joel Embiid is going to hold down the four both offensively and defensively because Joel Embiid is just that damn good. Quite frankly, I'm not really a fan of his flopping, but it's the new NBA, so a lot of players they get they get they get a, they get by by doing it. That's just what it is. They get the free throw line by doing it. Joel Embiid has mastered the technique with the new with the new rule. I'm 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 definitely can't wait to see this in, in tag and who it actually prevents from that bullshit from constantly happening. But Tyrese Maxey is a great point guard. He can score the ball effectively, efficiently, rather. He's great at that. He can shoot really well. He can facilitate when needed. And he's just overall a great guard. I don't think that Philly really needed to go get James Harden. I think their biggest thing is moving Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is eating up a lot of money doing nothing. Adding James Harden didn't change that. Having Jimmy Butler and keeping Tobias over Jimmy changed a lot of shit. But I think once James Harden is gone, because Philly has to move on from James Harden, you got to get something for him. I don't really know what his value is, because anybody that's trading for James Harden, you're putting all your eggs into one basket. When you look at the past couple of years with James Harden and how he performed in the playoffs and just what happened with the teams that he was on and ultimately destroyed on his way out, you don't really want to make that trade. But James Harden doesn't want to be in Philly. Byron Doc Rivers didn't fucking matter. He don't want to be there because he doesn't want to be looked at as a player that has to carry. Tyrese Maxey, I feel like he doesn't care. He just wants to play. And Tyrese Maxey has gotten better every year. He's gotten better every year. He played extremely well in the playoffs, and he's going to continue to play extremely well because he wants that opportunity. So I have to go with Tyrese Maxey. Just thinking long-term and when James Harden is out of there, how Tyrese Maxey is going to perform when he's actually the starter and he's playing starter minutes and his minutes aren't fluctuating anymore, he's going to be insane. Might even be an all-star. Yeah, I mean, first of all, probably the second fastest player in the league behind De'Aaron Fox. Oh, yeah. I mean, unreal. But, unreal. I mean, athleticism. 20 points. 20 points, like how with you said, the minutes fluctuating. Some games he's starting, some games he's not. Some games he's playing 30 minutes, some games he's only playing, you know, barely 20. But to shoot 48, 43, 85 shooting splits, I mean, nearly 50, 40, 90. And as you said, with minimal, you know, minutes going out. Well, here's one thing. Nick Nurse will have him out on that court for 40 minutes with how fast he is and how young and good he is. And like even so, with the I minutes, love Maxi. Twenty-three points a game, three rebounds, five assists, like forty-two percent from three. Like, and this is primarily not even playing starter minutes half the time. So the numbers are there; it backs it up. Get James Harden the fuck up out of there and get Tyrese's chance. Yeah, I love Maxi. I think that he's he's a twenty-five point per game scorer, even if Harden stays this year. Um, but I love the Maxi pick. And speaking of Dribble, 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 dribble. My next player can has the most unstoppable move of all time. He just drives right at you, dribble, dribble, dribble with his left hand, and just going to get a layup, and that's Josh Giddy. I love Josh Giddy. 6'9", only recently turned 20 years old, 17, 8, and 6. Um, he's only shot 32, 33% from three, but... He's still young enough and he's still developing that I think that that can improve, um, especially his free throw percentage too at 73. But Giddy paired with SGA is one of the 
currently best backcourts as well as best future backcourts. Um, just because of his size, he's a good defender. Um, but I mean, the six assists, you think watching Giddy's highlights and his, watching the game, he's finishing with like 15 assists and stuff because of the types of passes he's making, because of the frequency of passes he's making. He's getting definitely a lot of like hockey assists, like he's passing to the assist. Like it's 2K, like you're getting that, you know, extra pass, you know, teammate assist. grade, the pass to assist and stuff. Um, but eight rebounds solely just because of his size. He is probably out of most of the players that we've drafted, one of the highest basketball IQs that we've drafted. Um, I mean, just to come out the gate his rookie year and improve last year and to you know, he can be on ball as that facilitator, but he's fine off ball. If he w- if he wasn't fine off ball, SGA would not have averaged 30 a game. He would not have made all NBA first team. And as we said, I think the SGA has gotten better every year. I'd be shocked to say that SGA is not getting better this year. The improvement of Jalen Williams, the addition of Chet Holmgren, I think Giddy's role is just going to be that much easier and that much more defined. Um, I don't see a, a world where he can't get double digit assists or he can't be a 20 point per game score like Josh Kitty. When we talk about players that possibly could average triple double in a season, Josh Kitty should be on that list solely because of his size, his IQ and his playmaking. Um, and you know, NBA Timothy Chalamet, I don't, I don't care. He, you know, the, the TikTok star, and all that, the Australian, it doesn't matter. That dude can ball, and you know exactly what move he's going to do when he drives, and you still can't stop it. Love him. Yeah, I, I love that pick. Um, I love Josh Giddy. I think with uh, that backcourt, I think it's a little bit of an opposite, as in pertaining to, like, LaMelo and then Brandon Miller, and then going back to Katie, Jaden, Ivy. The ball is primarily in Shea's hand. We know Shea is insanely gifted with the basketball. He can score with the best of them, whereas Josh Giddy, like secondary ball handler, plays off ball a lot. Excellent facilitator, decent defender, and the shooting will get there. Uh, Josh Giddy, from to me, I think with Chet Holmgren coming back, Pokuzewski being healthy next season, Josh Giddy is going to have a more defined role. I think it's going to throw a lot of teams off because Thunder have a lot of weapons. For, for them to be such a young team. Oh, you got to throw in Lou Dort as well. So Giddy's going to fly under the radar for a lot of people. But I expect a lot of, like you said, triple-doubles. I expect a lot of sneaky triple-doubles. Like when you look at the stat sheet, you see that he had 20, 10, and 11. It's like, when? When was he able to do any of this? But I think Josh Giddy, I think the Thunder just have a, like a, just a sneaky, great team and how it's being built. Of course, the way they just, load up on picks is absurd they have the next two decades damn near in picks but yeah josh giddy josh giddy is that like he's definitely an interesting player to me just because of his role and the players that he's surrounded by but with his talent it's, it's very sneaky and it flies under the radar but i love that selection yeah i mean i'm looking at my tweet from the draft the same day that i made the franz wagner that he's young comparison and that was, this was before, obviously, I saw Giddy play in the NBA because we only had that 
you know, the NBL tape, but I compared Josh Giddy to Kyle Anderson, similar size, not the greatest athlete speed and stuff. Definitely not. He's definitely faster than Kyle Anderson. I mean, that dude's name is slow-mo, um, but just the overall ability. But I think, I think Giddy's phenomenal and I'm very interested to see how the Thunder go about his extension in the next couple of years. So who Definitely. will you be drafting with your last player? Last player, I'm going with the walk, almost walking double-double. And no, this is not a big – I'm going with Darius Garland, first-time All-Star this past season. And 23-9, and nine essentially, on 42% shooting from three. It's insane when you look at what Darius Garland can do as both a scorer and a facilitator. He can go get you 30 when he's hot, go get you 40, but he's always going to find time to get his teammates involved. I think Donovan Mitchell needs to be a little bit better in trusting Darius Garland because Donovan Mitchell can get a little shot happy. We saw that in the Knicks, the Knicks series. He can get a little shot happy. You're playing with a guard that can go get 25 himself. You Donovan's never had that luxury. Like Donovan was primarily the primarily scorer in Utah. Like Mike Conley is not going to go out there and get you 25. Joe Ingles has to be set up to, for any of that shit to happen. But with a player like Darius Garland, he is great at both facilitating and scoring for himself. Darius Garland, first time All Star, going to be All Star again next season. I expect the numbers to stay the same. Assist numbers might drop just because of you know just play and stuff like that. But 22 points a game, maybe even more next season. He's great. Like, I just think Donovan Mitchell needs to trust him a little bit more to get his shot because he's shown time and time again that he can't go get his shot. For my last selection, I definitely have to go with Darius Garland. Yeah, I love Darius Garland, the pick. Um, As I said, I I would have drafted him a little higher, but I went kind of like 50% next season, 50% next 10 years. In my big board ranking draft process, and everything. Love Garland, walking double-double. Sometimes the shooting is a little not there. He'll put up tour dates a few times, like he did in the in the Knicks series. Yep. Um, got absolutely exposed by Brunson and Grimes and quickly. Um, but I love Darius Garland, and I'm just very, very interested to see what Cleveland will do this coming year. Um, so now, with the last pick for me, it's between two players, and one of them's a big, one of them's a guard. And I already have a ton of bigs, so I'm going to go with the guard, and I'm going to go Scoot Henderson because why not? Like I'm going to go Scoot. The similar to how your Maxi Harden thing. If anyone in the NBA is going to be on a new team by this time next year or by the trade deadline, it is going to be Damian Lillard. And as soon as that happens. It is time for the Sharp Scoot show of Shaden Sharp and Scoot Henderson. Shaden Sharp, that's an honorable mention, was on my board. Um, but Scoot Henderson just, I mean, it's so easy of a comparison for like the, you know, Westbrook, D. Rose, John Moran, athlete of point guard, but it's validated. But 6'2 with a 6'7.5 wingspan and Built like crazy. The dude just turned 19. He's younger than both of us. He's and built like Cam Chancellor. Yeah, he's he looks like he could go out there and be Minka Fitzpatrick and, and stuff. But just the way that he can drive, 
the shooting in summer league and also towards the end of his his second his first G League season was definitely a better shooter. I think it's more so just because he was playing with guys like Marjan Bochamp and other guys that were getting drafted before he was eligible to be drafted. Um, I mean, he was playing G League when he should have been a senior in high school. Right. He was playing in the G League when he should have been a senior in high school, and he is a phenomenal playmaker. And if Dame stays and Scoop, Scoop plays with him, they can work. But as soon as Dame is gone, Scoop is a – I think Scoop is the second for sure thing in this draft, this past draft class. And I think that if the concerns of when Yama's frame and like possible injuries, I would not be surprised if Scoot ends up coming out of the gate better or finishing better. Um, but I'm just such a big fan of Scoot and that dude, you talk about like dog mentality, that dude will honk on your head and then block your shot and then throw an oop. I love that. I love that pick because Scoot Henderson is a player that you want on your team because of just how, like, mental his mentality. He'll make you want to run through a brick wall. Like, anything Scoot Henderson wants, he's going to try and go get it because that's just the kind of person and player that he is. And same same situation is hard when Dame is out of there, and Scoot's going to play like that day one. Of course, being a rookie, said he wants to win rookie of the year. He said he's going to win rookie of the year. Definitely excited to see the kind of show he puts on. A point guard that size, that's that fast with the ability to both facilitate and just get to the rim at at will. Of course, the shooting will come with time. A player like a player like this, we've seen time and time again. Uber athletic point guards where the shooting comes a little bit later into their careers. School Henderson is a, like you said, a dog. And I cannot wait to see the kind of game that he puts on, especially after Dame is traded, because then the He'll have full reign, open ability to do whatever. He'll have the green light, essentially. And I just can't wait to see how he meshes well, especially with Anthony Simons, if Anthony Simons is still there with him or if he's a part of the trade package or if he's negotiated to go elsewhere. We'll see about that when all that's done because I'm sure Dame is going to be traded soon. They can't keep this up forever. But I definitely love that selection. I'm definitely excited to see what Scoot does. Scoot could have easily gone number one in any other draft if Victor wasn't in it. So I, yep. I I love that pick. All right. So that was the 25 and under player draft. Yes, sir. Um, any honorable mentions you want to say? Uh, I'm, I got one, and this is just to throw more shots at Minnesota for being absolute idiots. I'm taking Walker Kessler just because yeah, that was the that was the big that I was debating over. Just with the a little bit of time that he did have when Utah finally realized that hey, this motherfucker is good. He shitted on everything Rudy Gobert has ever done for that franchise. I don't care about the Defensive Player of the Year awards. Really, I'm just hating. Don't like, don't take this serious at all. But I mean it. Walker Kessler, he made that trade look even worse once he started yeah. to play and once he saw the skill set that he had and how good he actually was. Like, God damn, this boy can play. He made Minnesota look even worse because when you say that Minnesota had Walker Kessler instead of Rudy Gobert. Walker Kessler can actually stretch the floor a little bit. He isn't the best shooter in the world, but he's a shooter. He's a shooter. He he compliments. I feel like he compliments Cat well, essentially, because Cat yeah. likes to have the ball in his hands, but Cat likes to have the ball in his hands from 45 feet out. 
because he wants to shoot. He wants to be able to put the ball on the floor. Walker Kessel would have had, would have allowed that to happen. You can't have that Rudy Gobert because now you just got two motherfuckers clogging the paint. I don't know what Minnesota was thinking, but Walker Kessler is nice, so I have to go with Walker Kessler. Yeah, he was he was my first honorable mention. He was the one that I was uh, debating over, but I just had to go with my heart and go scoot. I only have a few more honorable mentions. I have Jalen Green. You know, I mean, phenomenal athlete, great scorer, 22 points per game. I want to see what Ime does. Um, Amon Thompson, again, what Ime does, I think Amon Thompson, is, I think he should start at the three, but I think he should be the main facilitator playmaker. He is special when it comes to that. And then my last one is Scotty Barnes. I'm interested to see what he does with a new coach. Now that he's not going to be playing with Nick Nurse, I still don't really know what Toronto is doing, but I'm still, I still have faith in Scotty. I understand this past year was a little harder for him, not having a center, a true center. He was kind of playing center. He was kind of playing point guard in some lineups and stuff. They didn't really get better in the offseason. The only really additions they did were Grady Dick and they basically swapped Fred Van Fleet out for Dennis Schroeder, but I'm so high on Scotty Barnes. I am too. I think Scotty Barnes is suffering from the, I kind of want to say the, I don't even know what kind of role you want to call, or maybe the, 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 the Nikola Jokic role almost. When Nikola Jokic was first drafted, of course, people didn't really expect much of him. They didn't expect nothing highly of him. Sat behind Yusuf Nurkic first couple years. But he, I mean, he also, sat behind Joffrey Laverne. Joffrey Laverne, Nurkic, who at that time Nurkic was great. Nurkic is still a great, great quality big, but as we know, Jokic is just otherworldly. And I think when you look at Toronto and you look at their roster, especially from in the wing department, Scotty Barnes is behind Siakam and he's behind Ananobi, both of whom are in trade rumors. Now, you know, Scotty Barnes has also been in his fair share of trade rumors. So I think it's a little bit of like the same situation in both. Philly with Harden and Maxi, and then of course Portland with Damon and, and and Scoot. I don't really think we've seen how great Scotty Barnes can fully be. One, he has to get the opportunity to get out there. Now, granted, Siakam is great. Granted, Ananobi is great, but I feel like Scotty's ceiling could be a little bit is a little bit higher than Ananobi's, just because given the op- more opportunity, and we haven't really seen Ananobi get better with his game. I don't know if he's still the same player a little bit, and maybe he needs a change of scenery to like, to honestly get into his evolution as a player and who he wants to become and who he wants to be and maybe get that confidence. But I love Scotty Barnes. I love the talent out of Florida State. You, you know Florida State, they produce nothing but defenders. I believe Jonathan Isaac went to Florida State. Yeah, I could be Jonathan wrong. Isaac, Devin and Fussell. Devin Fussell, um, and they're all great defenders. Scotty Barnes, the offense to come. We've seen the time again with players who were more defensive minded than before they got offensive minded. Kawhi Leonard, not saying Scotty Barnes is going to end up like Kawhi, but the offense will get there. He just has to have that opportunity. Now, with new coaching, new system, trades might happen. He might get that. Shit, Scotty Barnes might get traded. You never know. But I, I like Scotty Barnes. I think he just needs that chance to open up, freestyle a little bit, get that opportunity, have an actual direction and we're going to see the best scotty Barnes. yep definitely agree so shout out to those honorable mentions sorry you didn't get picked that's just how it cookie crumbles sometimes moving on to our next segment we are going to be doing the nba stock exchange where we will be doing three players that we are buying stock in 
three players that we are selling stock in. Yes, sir. So go ahead and just give me the three players you're buying stock in, and we'll spend a little to talk about those three players. Three players I'm buying stock in. Kristaps Porzingis, Mikael Bridges, and Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton, of course, was the first player I selected in the 10 players yeah. draft, 25 and under. The reason why I'm going with Porzingis is because Porzingis, when he first got drafted into this league, no one knew who the fuck he was. Who the fuck is Tingus Pingus is a quote that lives rent-free in my head all day, every day. Kristaps Porzingis was great with the Knicks. Unfortunately, with all the tumultuous relationship with Carmelo Anthony ultimately wanting out, he ended up being the number two number one option, got hurt. But he put up great numbers in New York. He was an all-star. When you look at what he did in Washington this past season, he was healthy. I don't really want to talk about what happened with Dallas. I don't really think he was the fit. Yep. I think it was just more or less trying to pin two European players together and trying to see if it worked because of the Steve Nash and the Dirk. And Steve Nash, not even European, yep. but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. I, but I think that with going to Boston, this is an insane – first of all, it was an insane job by Brad Stevens. Marcus Smart will definitely be missed, but Brad Stevens needs to be on trial for robbery, um, robbery, robbery, and robbery again. Because being able to say that you all you had to do was flip Marcus Smart and Danilo Gallinari, who didn't play a single game for Boston, unfortunately, because he nope. got hurt for a player like Porzingis. Now Porzingis doesn't have to worry about being the number one option. Porzingis doesn't even have to worry about being the second option. When you add a player, when you put a player next to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who just got done averaging 23 and 8 in a block a game, you still have you still have Robert that Williams. Size. You still have Al. Is Al Horford still in Boston? Yep. You still have Al Horford. You still have Robert Williams, and then you add Porzingis. That is insane. He's not going to average 23 and 8, but you don't need him to. That's a player that can get you 30 when he's hot. When the three is falling, Porzingis will pull from the logo. We've seen it. Porzingis is damn good. He For for a player that was drafted top five when he was drafted, I feel like he's etched out one hell of a career. I think he's done an amazing job bouncing back from the ACL injury. He's and he's going to fit alongside Tatum and Brown perfectly. So I'm looking, I'm going into next season thinking that Porzingis, while he might not have his best season statistically, he's going to have his best season in regards of role, fit, and style of play because he fits into the play style of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum very perfectly. And defensively, weak side blocks alongside him, Williams, Horford, that, hey, it might be, this might be what Boston needed to get over the hump. Derek White gets to be the full-time point guard. As you know, Derek White is serviceable. Boston doesn't need a star point guard. They went from Kyrie to Kemba. They gave Marcus Smart a shot. Like I said, Marcus Smart is going to be missed. But Porzingis, in that role, next to those two stars, I have to buy stock in Porzingis. And then, of course, Mikael Bridges, me being a Nets fan, when we acquired Mikael Bridges, got the green light. We discussed this the last episode that, we, that you had me on. He averaged like at least 27, put up 40-point games every other night for Brooklyn. Him and Cam Johnson, now with a full season, a full season with training camp. Expect Mikael Bridges, if he's not an all, he's not going to be an all-star starter, but he's definitely going to be an all-star reserve this season. Oh, he's an all-star. Easily, easily, because Mikael Bridges is that damn good. And, of course, Reese Halliburton, just the numbers that he put up last year, Pacers fighting for a playoff spot. Like I said, they're going to be in the playoffs next season. He's going to be even better. He might be another all-star reserve again like he was this past season. 
fuck Wally Serbia for thinking that Reese Halliburton was a fake all-star. Made you eat those motherfucking words, but those are the three players. If I'm anyone was a fake all-star, is Wally's all-star campaign. I don't even remember that shit, so that just goes to show that we don't give a fuck about Wally Serbia being an all-star. Exactly. I think those are great players to buy stock in. Obviously, Halliburton, you know, he was he went number one. And if he wasn't number one, he probably, you know, he was third for me. The only reason I had Ann and Wembenyama. Yeah. Um, I think that exactly what you said about Porzingis is perfect. Um, he's not going to have his best season statistically, um, but he's going to have his best season. Um, to me, it's going to be very interesting because the Celtics, you know, they lost Marcus Smart, they lost Grant Williams, but still to have Brogdon, White, Brown, Tatum, Porzingis, Horford, and Rob Will, I mean, roll the, roll the ball out. That's that's scary, especially since both of us are Eastern Conference team fans. Um, like for us, is because they're still great defensively at all positions. Like, losing Marcus Smart... Losing Marcus Smart doesn't change anything for them defensively. Yes, you lose a player that won defensive player of the year. But between the rotation of White, Brogdon... And they got better on offense. Yeah, they got better on offense. And with the rotations of Brogdon, Derek White, defensively at the guard position, you're not losing much when you combine those that wrote those rotational pieces together. So Boston's going to be right back contending. Like, they, they honestly got better. I think it's also interesting because Rob Will has always been kind of on it, dealing with injuries the past two, three years. So that's just, and so is Porzingis. But if they can get it to where they're both healthy, it works. Or, you know, if Porzingis is hurt for a little bit and Rob Will's healthy, boom, slide him in. If Rob, if Rob Will is hurt, boom, you slide Porzingis in. But then the Mikel Bridges, I mean, and also he's never missed an NBA game. Nope. He played I mean. 83 this last year because he got traded. So he literally played one more than you're eligible to, unless you get traded. A full 82 game season of what Mikel Bridges did in those last 25, 26 games in Brooklyn as a legit number one option, plus the possible Team USA bump. Because yep. if you look at that 2014 FIBA Men's World Cup team, we had Steph Curry, James Harden, Clay Thompson. Paul George, obviously that was Paul George's catastrophic career um, injury. Thank goodness he rebounded from it. But Steph, Harden, Clay, Kyrie, you know, even like Mason Plumlee, uh, Kenneth Farid was on that team. What happened the next year? Almost a lot of those guys entered the peak of their career. The very next yeah. year, Steph won the title, Steph won MVP. Clay became one of the greatest shooters. Kyrie was in his first season with LeBron and was an all-star. James Harden was finally like, you know, 28, 29. He was the MVP runner-up. Yep. We've always kind of seen that jump from people with Team USA, especially the younger guys. Um, so I'm very interested to see what Mikel does. And that's on offense, not even considering that he's still one of the best wing defenders. So now the three players I will be buying stock in. Um, I went three younger players. I went Jaden McDaniels, Devin Fussell, and Trey Murphy. So with Devin Fussell, 
again, we've talked about the Spurs. We talked about Women Yama when I drafted him. We talked about Kenan Johnson when you drafted him. Devin Vassell this past year, also for a state guy, averaged 19, 4 and 4. Um, great shooting, great defense, and he's only still 20, 21 years old. Um, I think that's going to come very easy to him, as we talked about with what this Weminyama is going to provide for the Spurs and how much. But I'm just buying all the Vassell stock. I think he's special um, in terms of he definitely has more of a um, playmaking potential that hasn't really been tapped into yet. And to be so young and get 19. Now, granted, the Spurs, you know, they sucked enough to get the number one pick, but all those guys didn't suck. The team in totality did. Right. But I'm, I love Devin Fussell's game. Jaden McDaniels, he's the best defender on Minnesota. Without I don't doubt. care what Rudy Gobert, you know, what we say about Rudy Gobert. We've been hating on Rudy Gobert all podcasting. That's still not enough. But if Jaden McDaniels really did grow two more inches to 6'11", with the season he just had this past season, I put him on my all-defensive teams. I don't believe he made one. Um, obviously, you know, broke his hand, punching the tunnel when they lost and stuff. But to, he was like 12, 5, and 3 this past year. Insane defense. I think he's going to have an increased role on offense. And if he is two inches taller... Give me all the stuff on Jaden McDaniels because the fact is he was 6'9 and already long as hell, right. long as hell. And now that they have him, um, he's very gender, Jared Vanderbilt in a way. Um, but I think he's has more offensive upside. And my the person I'm buying all the stock in, I've been buying stock in him since I watched him play in person when he was at UVA. Trey Murphy the third. I mean, you talk about someone that is crazy. I remember when I compared him to Cam Johnson in the NBA draft and stuff, um, and I predicted that he would go to the Pelicans, shout out me. Um, but Trey Murphy is just a special, special, special shooter. He was in the dunk contest, so we know he's a good athlete. He's 6'9". He's a great defender. He's someone that, you know, if um, Zion's hurt, that can spin and, get an increased scoring role. I think that if Zion, I think Trey Murphy should be the number three option this coming year. You know, I love McCollum, but I think it's time to let the young, young boys play. Um, And I'm just, I love Trey Murphy's game. I think every team wants Trey Murphy. And he's also just very poised. If you've ever listened to the podcast, he episode, he was on with JJ Redick. He's very, he knows who he is as a player at such a young age and a little biased, but I think it's because that he's from UVA and the types of caliber players that Tony Bennett has. I mean, look at Malcolm Brogdon. Right. So those are the three players I am buying stock in. Moving on to the selling portion, three players that I am selling stock in, not necessarily saying that like I've lost all belief, but just, just not really feeling that much. I'm going. Yeah, you're with, looking for other options to put that stock into. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm selling Sabonis. Um, I think just the way he performed in the first round against Golden State. If he performs any better, they put Golden State out in the first round. Uh, they probably go to the Western Conference Finals. If we're being completely honest. Um, just it, just the way he played. Um, he. He didn't want to shoot the ball. He showed that he, when they left him open, he didn't want to shoot. He 
pass immediately. It showed that Trey Lyles was a better matchup, like better fit for them matchup-wise because he could stretch the floor and shoot the three with consistency. And just all the bunnies that he missed down low that he typically makes. So Bonus just has to open up his game more. I think we fell in love with the fact that he is a very great passer like his dad was. But his dad could shoot. And Domantas Sabonis has to add that to his game if he wants to honestly be taken seriously and if he wants to to help get the Sacramento Kings to that spot that they want to be in. Granted, you can say that the Kings kind of overachieved this past season, but you can also say that this is what they've been working all of these years up to. This is why they made that trade to get Sabonis and move Halliburton over to the Pacers because they felt like they needed to make a move to compliment De'Aaron Fox and ultimately keep De'Aaron Fox happy. As you can see, it worked out. The Sacramento Kings have a excellent future, but it starts with Sabonis. And until he refines his game and gets better offensively and gets taken more seriously, offensively becomes a little tougher. I got to sell some stock in him. Anthony Davis is another player that I'm selling stock in. Just signed that fat extension. Well-deserved, but at the same time, got to stay healthy. It's two things with Anthony Davis that is – the health portion, which a lot of his injuries is literally just like, how the fuck did you manage to pull that off? A lot of this, a lot of the times that Anthony Davis gets hurt, it's not even his fault. It's just shitty ass luck. We've seen it with the the, uh, the calf injury that he dealt with, um, the uh, the hamstring injuries, and just in the past couple of years, the groin injury against the Suns a couple of years ago. Just every injury. Every injury. It's just terrible luck. And, and then another thing. He is very against playing the five. He loves to play the four. But when you look at this Lakers roster, they don't have a center. They still haven't gone and got a center. And when you look at the available centers, I don't really see any available center that is comparable to keep Anthony Davis happy out of the four and not have to switch him to the five. And I think as an NBA player, you have to be able to become multidimensional. Anthony Davis, you're not the prototypical power forward. You're 6'10", 6'11". You're going to play the five sometimes. You just are. He falls in love with that fadeaway shot, and it's like you're not LaMarcus Aldridge. The fadeaway is not working sometimes. Sometimes you have to get down low. Now, granted, I think it's just because he's afraid of getting injured, so he wants to stick to that face-up game. But we've seen you getting injured going up for a rebound. I don't think that matters. You have to learn to just say, fuck it, even if you don't like it. Suck it up, play the five. Like, you just have to. It's like if Tim yeah. Duncan said to himself, well, I hate playing the four. I'd rather play the five. He would never come out and say it. Like, like the kind of career that Tim Duncan had, what if Tim Duncan just came out? Yeah, that entire time I was playing power forward, I hated it. But we had David Robinson, and I just said, fuck it, I'll play the four. Like, he's the, arguably, a lot of people, the greatest power forward of all time. Now I'm saying that Tim Duncan hated playing the four, but that's not something that you willingly put out all the time and tell your team all the time that you hate playing the five, that we have to get a center that's comparable to me so I can just stick at the four. No, you have to be able to become multidimensional. You can't be considered a top five, top ten player in the league. Most, most, if not all top five, top ten players in the league are very multidimensional with the exception of maybe Nikola Jokic. But at the same time, you look at what Nikola Jokic does offensively, he's a fucking point guard that plays center. Multidimensional. Yeah. Anthony Davis has to learn that playing the five is just something that you're going to have to do. There's no reason why LeBron James at 38 years old is playing with more effort and more heart and you are mentally checking out of games because you don't want to embrace 
competition down low. And then the third that I'm selling stock in is Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler mm. is a very confusing player to me because he's great when the playoffs come around. He's a great regular season player, don't get me wrong. But when the playoffs come around, he becomes a psychopathic killer. What he did to your Bucks, I'm oh, sorry. You're telling me. Uh, like, seeing him score 50 just the way he did, cerebral-like, like, the player that he becomes in the playoffs is insane to watch. It's great for the game of basketball. But also, right after that Buck series, he fell off the place of earth, if we're being honest. Granted, he might have been dealing with an injury, but there's no excuse. Especially, you win the Eastern Conference Finals, you tell your teammate you're going to hold the next trophy instead. Well, you didn't hold that trophy, and you played like shit in the finals, if we're being completely yeah. honest. You played like shit. And Jimmy Butler, like, Jimmy Butler is a great player, don't get me wrong. But with him getting older, I think he's going, I think he's about to be 34, 35, still making a little bit over like 38, 39 mil on that insane contract they gave him. You missed out on two NBA championships. Granted, both the Lakers and the Nuggets were better teams. They were. Yeah. So the better team won in those situations, but you missed out on two championship opportunities. Jimmy Butler isn't really a number one at this point in his career. I feel like in regards of going after a championship, getting a player like Dame is something that they definitely have. They must do. Fuck Tyler Harrow. They want Tyler Harrow on four first-round picks? Give them Tyler Harrow on four first-round picks if it means you get Dame because you're still staying active. You're still staying hungry and trying to win a championship. And Pat Riley ain't no soft motherfucker. Pat Riley is going to get it done. He's going to get that deal done. It might not happen when he wants it, but he's going to get it done, and Miami's still going to be contending for a championship. But I think that Jimmy Butler isn't going to be the piece that ultimately carries him and gets it done. I think we have to feed – I think the Miami has to feed the ball to Bam a little bit more, get him more involved. I think Bam should be the main focal point of the team offensively, let Jimmy Butler play off ball a little bit. Kyle Lowry's old. They lost Gabe Vincent. They lost Max True. So Miami's in a little bit of a state of flux. When you think about it, just because a lot of their role players play such huge roles and getting them to where they were, unless you can get Duncan Robinson back out there. And Duncan Robinson had his moments in the playoffs where he showed why they ultimately gave him that contract extension. Yep. But I think that with Jimmy Butler getting up there a little bit in age, and the money that he's making value-wise and him being a passive, he's a very passive player sometimes. He hides behind the fact, oh, I'm trying to get my other guys involved. That's great. There's nothing wrong with getting your guys involved, but when you're making the kind of money that you're making, Jimmy, you got to put the ball in the basket. He's never been a great three-point shooter, but he can turn it on in spouts. It's insane. I believe in Jimmy Butler. I do. But if they can't get Dame, I don't really see Miami doing pretty much anything next season. Yeah, I think those are all great, great points. Um, Sabonis, you know, and it's not just that he's not a shooter. It's his defense as well. I mean, his dad was a phenomenal shot blocker as well. Right. Um, now, granted, just, you know, you can't say father, son. Look at Marcus Jordan. He's dating his, you know, dad's mate's ex-wife. Um, but, you know, she's she has a thing for basketball players. Um, but for Anthony Davis, I agree. Um, I think it is going to be a little interesting. Um, and I think that him playing the five this year will be very interesting, especially with it looks like Rui Hachimura and um, Jared Vanderbilt splitting time at the four. Um, 
And I think I don't really see Jackson Hayes and Anthony Davis being on the floor together nah. at the same time. So it's going to be very interesting. If you look back at, 20, at the 2020 ring, you know, the bubble ring, Mickey Mouse ring, whatever you want to call it, just NBA finals in 2020, what did the Lakers have? They had a rotation of Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee, yep. They allowed Anthony Davis to play the four, but he, now you've got to play the five, dude. Yeah. Um, and with Jimmy, I think that that is completely, completely valid. That it's like, well, if you can do it in the playoffs, why can't you do it for the full regular season and playoffs? Um, so the three players I'm selling stock in are D'Angelo Russell, R.J. Barrett, and Jalen Suggs. So I'm going to start with Suggs just because he's the youngest, but um, he was very high coming out of um, Gonzaga, of course. He had that insane buzzer beater from half court to beat UCLA and so on and so forth. But I think with the development or the resurgence of Markel Fultz, um, the scoring ability of Cole Anthony and the biggest telltale sign for me that I need to sell stock in Jalen Suggs was the drafting of Anthony Black, a very Suggs-Fultz-esque player. Hybrid, um, yep. That if they're drafting Black, then it obviously is saying, hey, we still need to figure out our guard, our main guard, our rotation and stuff. They now have four guards all super young. I mean, the oldest out of the four is Markel Fultz, and he was drafted in 2017. Right. So, just to, to put in perspective, um, but I'm selling my Jalen Slug stock. I still believe that he's a great defender. Um, he's very inconsistent um, scorer. He's almost a bad shooter, and the assist to turnovers aren't really the best, but I think with Fultz, Cole Anthony, and then the drafting of Anthony Black that I think Suggs is time in Orlando. Now, he could resurge in another, but this is me selling Jalen Stock's Orlando Magic stock. Um, my next one that I'm selling stock in is R.J. Barrett. I think that it's another one. He's young and stuff, but with the extension of Josh Hart, with the signing in emergence of Jalen Brunson, with just the way that Julius Randle is with the how what we saw from quickly the second half of the season, what we saw from Quentin Grimes even and stuff. I think RJ Barrett's role is just going to get smaller and smaller, especially under a coach like Tom Thibodeau. Um, I still yeah. think that he's going to be a starter. He's going to be the third, fourth option um, per se, but I think that when he changes the court with Josh Hart, he's not going to get as many looks. He's definitely not going to get as many looks when he shares the court with Emmanuel quickly. Um, Brunson and Randall are still out there. But this is a guy that I thought would be able to come in the league and drop 20 a game. Um, he was heralded as the next great Canadian player, but it seems like he's more Andrew Wiggins as opposed to SGA. Um, so I'm selling my R.J. Barrett stock. Did you have something to say on R.J. Barrett? Um, I think RJ Barrett definitely needs a change of scenery. Uh, I think, I think a lot of times a lot of rookies just end up in a not so good situation. I think at first, I think when he was drafted originally by the Knicks, I think the situation was great for him. I think along the lines, like when they, the additions of everyone else, 
I don't think I think it kind of stunted his growth just a little bit. I don't really like Tom Thibodeau as the coach. I think Tom Thibodeau is too stuck in his ways. Um, you completely remove Derrick Rose and Evan Fournier, a shooter out of your lineup, and, and, and which is hilarious because what ultimately killed the Knicks against Miami, they couldn't shoot. Uh, so I think R.J. Barrett definitely needs a change of scenery. Um, I Like, when you look at a player like Julius Randle, I'm not really that big of a fan of Randle just because of his play style. I, like, his bully ball isn't really bully ball. It's, it's kind of... I'm gonna stumble my way to the basket and see what happens. Uh, it, it's it's weird at just everything that's going on with the Knicks. I don't really like outside of Brunson. I don't really know what they're trying to do. I mean, they made the playoffs. That's great. They made it out the first round. That's great. But I don't think Randall is sustainable. I don't think Barrett is going to get any better than he is right now. Because personally, I don't think Barrett likes the situation that he's in. He will never say it until he's completely probably fed up with it. I, I'm I, I'm guaranteeing he's probably hoping that they probably fire Thibodeau, but it looks like Thibodeau isn't going anywhere, unfortunately, for Barrett. But, yeah, I I agree, unfortunately, because I'm a huge Barrett fan, but I think he just needs a change of scenery. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think it's either change of scenery or change of coach right. with Thibodeau leaving. Um, and then the last player I'm selling stock in is D'Angelo Russell. Pains me to say, I still am a fan of D'Lo. You know, ice his veins and stuff. Back back on the Lakers, he was looking good. But the inconsistency in the playoffs and at some points being unplayable. unplayable and then yeah. the, the emergence of Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura have kind of made it look like his playing time is going to be less and less. And especially the the offseason acquisition of Gabe Vincent for the Lakers, that between those three guys, and that's even before you factor in the Jared Vanderbilt and and you know Jared Vanderbilt's Torian Prince's Cam Reddish's and stuff. Now I'm not saying I think those guys those last few guys are going to take minutes from D'Lo, but I think his role is going to be diminished. I'm not going to be shocked if you know it gets to a point where. He's traded. I think I saw an interesting thing that the combined salary of D'Angelo Russell and Rui Hachimura is the exact amount of salary that Kyrie Irving makes. I think I saw saw that somewhere, but maybe that's why they were bringing D'Lo back and fine with that, but that's a little interesting. But at the end of the day, the ice in the veins, it's starting to melt, and I'm yeah. selling my D-Love stock. It, 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 Was there any other players that you were thinking about buying or selling stock in? Um, Honestly, no. Like, when I was thinking, when I was putting everything together, uh, like especially with the buying stock, those three players, Przingis, Mikel, and Reese, those jumped off at me, especially Przingis, just because of how he fits with the Celtics. And with the selling of the players, that was a little tough, because I actually wanted to say Julius Randle, but it's like, when Julius Randle plays well, and when you think about who you can probably trade Julius Randle for, it's like, like Julius Randle doesn't really have any value, I feel like, on the trade market. Because then when he plays bad, yeah. he plays really bad. He checks out mentally. So I, I don't know. I was kind of, but I didn't really, but outside of that, no, I didn't really have any other players. How about yourself? Um, I was, I'm debating whether or not to say it, but just I went with those three young guys for buying. 
Um, but Grant Williams and what he's going to do in Dallas, um, I really, really like that. I was big on Grant coming out. I understand the whole, I'm going to make them both or whatever. It looks bad for Grant, but I think that he's a perfect fit for what Dallas needed. And then the other only other one I was really thinking about selling was Bones Highland. I think it's very similar mm-hmm. to Suggs as you left a good situation where you could have carved out a good role. And then you go to a team that's even more veterans with an even, you know, granted they, the Clippers have never won a ring and stuff, but just more veterans, a guy like Russell Westbrook and Kawhi and Paul George and all those guys just selling the bones Highland, just, you know, hopefully he can find that he's still young enough, but yeah. So that was the NBA stock exchange segment and now we're going to move into our last segment rapid fire predictions for each nfl team yes sir and we are going to start with the afc east and we're going to start with the hard knocks team what is a prediction you have for the new york jets ah for the new york jets this is interesting um very young offense outside of aaron Rodgers, of course i think it's going to take time for them to gel obviously with Aaron Rodgers being the kind of player that he is and what he expects out of his receivers, especially. But when you look at the way the Jets played last year, they were well on their way, I feel like, to contending for a playoff spot, wild card, definitely. Then you lose Brees Hall, who was probably a shoe-in for Offensive Rookie of the Year before tearing his ACL. Honestly, if they can get off on the right foot early and stay on the gas pedal and everyone stays healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if they finish right there for a wild card spot now and the afc is tough so many great teams in the afc so i wouldn't be surprised they also missed the playoffs by like a game but or if it came down to leave the last games of the night but i'm not going to sit here and say that they're not going to make the playoffs or they're going to have a horrible record can't really see that happening i kind of see them being just like middle of the pack and probably fighting for a spot towards the end towards the end of the season so i'll probably say I'll probably have to go and say they're going to make the playoffs as a wild card, and we'll see Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs as a New York Jet. That sounds insane to say. Yeah, I definitely agree. They were literally only a quarterback away from the playoffs last year, and then they added one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Um, my prediction for the Jets is Garrett Wilson will solidify himself as a top 10 receiver in the NFL. And Garrett I mean, Wilson is really great. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year with Zach Wilson, uh, Joe Flacco, and like the like Mike White, whatever Mike White, and then whatever who uh, the, that fourth guy was when they played the Jaguars that went in and stuff. And he still won Offensive Rookie of the Year. Now you add Aaron Rodgers, and we we have seen Aaron Rodgers do these with young receivers once receivers kind of age out, but now it's more that he's coming in. We saw it with Jordy Nelson. We saw it with Devontae Adams. We saw it with his boy, Randall Cobb. Terry Wilson, I mean, he's an Ohio State receiver, so you know he's going to do well. I think he will solidify himself as a top 10 receiver this year. Next, we're going to go to the Buffalo Bills. What is a bold prediction you have for them? Another playoff disappointment. Um, I think with the Buffalo Bills, I think Josh Allen is a great quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I think, I think overall, like a little sidebar, I think the NFL is kind of overreacting in regards to running backs. Buffalo doesn't have a running back, and I think ultimately that's going to be their downfall because when you have to play a certain, when you have to play a team in the playoffs, like 
teams play harder in the playoffs. The playoffs. And the Buffalo could be very one-dimensional. They're airing it out, the rate attack. It, it, it's great. It's great to watch, but I think they're going to, again, have a great season, but fizzle out, come up short, not make the Super Bowl. It's funny that you say running backs. My prediction for the Bills is they will sign one of Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott. Um, Dalvin Cook's little brother is on the Bills. Yep. No way, he got traded to the Colts, I think. James Cook? Yeah. Did he? I can't remember. But either way, at the end of the day, regardless of if he's on the Bills or not anymore, it's that point of the year where you forget where some new player, some players went to teams and stuff. Um, but they don't have a running back, as you said. I know they still have Damian Harris. We will say that. Um, they still have a great defense. Von Miller is coming back. One reason they had a playoff disappointment this past year, in my opinion, was Von Miller was out and he was hurt. It seems like they figured out the Stefan Diggs, um, the Stefan Diggs situation. This is the second year of their OC because last year they was their first year with the new OC as obviously Brian Dable, their old OC, became your head coach for your New York Giants. But I think that they will sign one of Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott. I was leaning Cook if James Cook is still there um, yeah, he, because I also don't see – is he there? Uh, yeah, he's still there. Okay, so boom. He's going with his brother. He used to play with Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. Yep. And I don't see why he would go to the Jets when they have Brees Hall. Exactly. So my prediction for the Bills is they will sign one of Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott. So who what is your prediction for the New England Patriots? Uh New England Patriots. Mid. Gonna be mid. I don't really believe in Matt Jones. Um, I think putting Belichick on the hot seat is kind of pointless. Uh, they like they just don't do nothing for me. Uh, like Brady be Brady leaving that that was everything. I think they need to just completely reset. I don't think moving off from Belichick is the answer unless they just want to do a complete culture overhaul. But I, they're gonna be mid. I don't know. They're I wouldn't say they're gonna be terrible. Seven and nine, maybe, uh, or, or or is it seven and ten now, depending on the extra game? But not, I don't really see them making the playoffs. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, they're going to they're be mid. They're going to be average, or maybe below, uh, slightly below average. Yes. So I agree. One of my predictions I was thinking of about was Mac Jones getting benched, but they don't really have better options unless you know Bailey Zappi finds it back. But my prediction is that Matthew Judon will request a trade. Oh, yeah, I think yeah, that, sure. I think that he will request a trade to a contending team um, and watch the Rams end up getting him, blah, 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 whatever. But I think Matthew Judon will request a trade. He's still a phenomenal, um, a great unstopper, you know, wearing the the red long sleeve shirt. I think he will request a trade because of the Patriots record. Now, what is your prediction for the Miami Dolphins? Miami Dolphins. Uh, they missed the playoffs, correct? No. They lost or, the wild card game. To they the lost Bills. the wild card to the Bills, right? They're gonna miss. Skylar Thompson was playing. They're gonna be in the playoffs again. 
I'm hoping that Tua stays healthy this go around because on paper Miami looks really really good and they had played a really good season like the first portion of the season last season so I think the Dolphins are going to pick up right where they left off if Tua stays healthy I see them right back in the playoffs I don't really see them as a wild card or no the AC is tough so I can definitely see them as a wild card again but I definitely see the Dolphins in the playoffs again I also think that Tyreek Hill is going to have a crazy season. I think with Jalen Ramsey getting hurt is going to hurt them a little bit defensively, but I don't really see them skip like missing a beat. I think they're going to be right back in the playoffs. I don't think they're going to contend, but it's a stepping stone for their future. I definitely agree, and that is why my pick is that Tua will prove himself as a top ten quarterback. I'm a Tua non-believer. I think he's great. If you look at his numbers pre-injury, he was balling out. Right. So I think that talent-wise, he's top. He's has the top ten potential, especially when you factor in, hey, I'm throwing to either Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle, and I have an offensive guru for a head coach in Mike McDaniel, who's probably gonna tell me some crazy play and then hit his vape on the sideline. Um. <laughs> So that was the AFC East. We're going to go to the NFC East and start with your team, the New York Giants. Tell me, Morris, how you feel? Dog Give me meat. A prediction. Dog meat. I, I, man, I think Daniel Jones is going to prove to us why we shouldn't have gave him that fat ass contract. I, I'm not a Daniel Jones believer. I've hated the draft pick since day one granted the quarterback that i wanted us to draft who was no longer with us rest in peace of Dwayne Haskins. who knows how he would have turned out with us but i i just don't like daniel jones i don't like the fact that we paid him over saquon barkley once again that's the nfl and front office overreacting about running backs granted they have a point i get it they have a point but certain running backs like saquon barkley who carried this offense on his back from day one and if we're being completely honest, he was the only reason why we had a shot. We won the amount of games we did to get into the playoffs because we ended up losing quite a few. So this season, I think Dan Jones is going to prove that we shouldn't have given that contract. We shouldn't have given that contract. I I agree. You know, it's just hard out here for running backs in general. I mean, the fact that Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott are still unemployed is Absurd to me, I get for Zeke a little bit, but I'm still shocked that not even one team. But Dalvin Cook still being unsigned is wild to me. Yeah, Dalvin um, Cook was pro bowler, yards. Josh Jacobs is still unsigned, and he was the league leading rusher. So, yeah. Um, my prediction for the New York Giants for you is I'm going to stay away from the offense. It's a little easy. You know, the Darren Waller trade, still not really many receivers. Daniel Jones, underpaying Saquon. But I'm going to say, Kayvon Thibodeau, breakout year. I agree. We saw the, we saw all the flashes. All the times. There was a reason he was one of the highest prospects coming out of high school into college. I understand that he underperformed a little bit in college. So the Giants took a chance on him. He was phenomenal. I think he's going to have an even better year i agree so now we're going to move on to the washington whatever you want to call them now that they got rid of dan snyder um what is your prediction for washington 
I think Sam Howell's going to uh, be the become the full time starter. I think uh, last season, those couple of games that he started, Sam Howell showed that he can be a starting quarterback in the league when given the opportunity. Showed that he definitely has a fucking arm. Uh, Washington has the 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 I feel like the weapons for him to slide in smoothly. Have hopefully he had a great training camp. I don't know how good they're going to be, but I definitely think that Sam Howell is going to be their starter for the future and for the next few years. I think he's going to prove to be a good piece for them. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I think that they still need to figure out quarterback, but I think with Eric Bieniemy that they're Sam Howell is so his weaknesses are going to be hidden, especially because of the um, offensive skill position players that they have. Um, and that's why I'm saying Brian Robinson will finish top five in rushing yards. I mean, the fact that this dude got shot and still ran for seven, 800 yards um, with and now is adding in Eric the enemy. I'm saying maybe not top five in rushing yards, but he will rush for over a thousand. Right. Um, shout out man by 50 cents. Um, another bold prediction I have for the Washington is just Ron Rivera is going to be fired and Eric Bieniemy is going to become the head coach. I think that was kind of a safety hire of him getting the job. It was like, do you leave KC to go to Washington? I think Perfect. because he looks at it and he goes, they're bad. Rivera's gone. I'm coach. Now it's time. Right. So that's my prediction for Washington. What is your prediction for Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. Cowgirls, I mean. Um, I think Dak is I think the Cowboys are gonna Cowboys are gonna have a great season again. I think Michael Parsons is gonna pro, Michael Parsons is probably matter of fact, I think Michael Parsons might win defense, defensive player of the year next season just because he's come up short the last few times. But I also think that Dak Prescott once again will come up short like he always does. Uh, the interceptions bite him all the time. He's thrown a lot in training camp already. I know he said that he guaranteed that he was going to throw less than 10, I think, or 12. I think it was 10. The way he's looking in training camp, he might throw 20 interceptions. The only quarterback I know that can throw a bunch of fucking interceptions and still be successful, Brett Favre. Brett Favre was a gunslinger. We don't even have to talk about the outside shit, but yeah, I think I think Michael Parsons will win Defensive Player of the Year, but Dak Prescott ultimately won't get them to the promised line. Yeah, that's my bold prediction is that it's not really bold, but that Dak's going to underperform. And But if you want a better prediction, I'm going to say that the Brandon Cooks trade will pay off for the Cowboys um, by allowing them to have a another receiver to go with. So – now, what is a bold prediction for the Super Bowl runner-up Philadelphia Eagles? I think the Eagles are going to be right back in Super Bowl contention. I see them actually going back and winning this time. I think Jalen Hurts now now knows what he has to do. Like, Because when you look at the game, if Jalen Hurts doesn't fumble, and that fumble doesn't get taken back for a touchdown, like minus the – and I'm not even talking about the Bradbury hold at the end of the game – but I think the Eagles, like, just the way they look on paper and how good they are and the the running backs that they have, they added another running back from Detroit, uh, DeAndre Swift, their defense, which is pretty much the Georgia Bulldogs. 
the Philadelphia Eagles are loaded, and they they have these players for the next few years. I think they're going to be right back in Super Bowl contention. I I agree, and I'm my prediction is Jalen Carter will win Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, just they're all Georgia, you know, and even DeAndre Swift is Georgia, all that. Right. But it's just crazy to me that Philly just the rich get richer. So now we're going to move to the AFC North, and let's start with the Cleveland Browns. Give me something about the Cleveland Browns. I don't, I, I don't know. The Cleveland Browns are a very interesting team. I feel like with Deshaun Watson, Amari Cooper, Nick Chubb. I think ultimately, I think Nick Chubb is just going to. I think Nick Chubb might lead the league in rushing this year. Nick Chubb is an insanely gifted running back. One of the few workhorses that we have. He's an he reminds me a lot of the older running backs from the early to mid two thousands. Marshawn Lynch, Adrian Peterson, Sean Alexander, uh who am I thinking of? Rams. He's played Steven Jackson, like Nick Chubb is a workhorse. He doesn't shy away from contact. He is contact. He's a goddamn bowling ball. so I think Nick Chubb's gonna lead the league in rushing. Yeah, that was my bold prediction other than just um, Deshaun Watson still gonna suck. Um, hope he does. So, yeah. Um, let's move on to the Baltimore Ravens. What is a bold prediction you have for the Ravens? Lamar Jackson is gonna make everybody eat their words. I think people were a bit insane. Like they went crazy a little bit of the fact that he was representing himself and that oh he should get an agent or he doesn't deserve this money. I know people are still going to call him a running back, but he's shown time and time again that he can throw the football. I don't know why people have – well, I have a reason why, but it's not really safe for work. Um, but I think Lamar Jackson is going to make people eat the words. He's going to show that he's an excellent quarterback. I think Baltimore – also, I think that Odell Beckham will be in the running for comeback player of the year. I think him being in Baltimore, playing with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson, we all know Odell Beckham – Prior to the injury in that Super Bowl, he was putting up – he's going to put up an insane stat line. He was having a hell of a game. I think this is his opportunity, a reborn opportunity, if you will, for Odell and for both Lamar Jackson now being under contract. So I think Lamar's going to pay people eat their words. I think Odell might win comeback player of the year. Yeah, I think Odell – my prediction is Odell's going to ball out. Not win comeback player of the year because – We'll put my future house mortgage that that is Demar Hamlin's award to win. Yeah. Um, but I think Odell will have a bounce back year. Just as you said, he's falling on the Rams, and I really like the pairing of him and Lamar. And that's really, other than Mark Andrews, the only option that Lamar has to throw to. But at least it's finally more than one option. Right. Um, we're gonna do my team last, so we'll move to the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Joe Burrow think? Joe Burrow got hurt in training camp. He's gonna miss almost. Ha- they they're saying he might miss like six weeks. So he might miss like the first couple regular season weeks. But I think since he a prediction for since he I think Joe Burrow might win MVP just because of his, just because of how easy it is for him offensively. How easy he makes the quarterback position look. Granted, he'll have to win it over. Mahomes, Lamar, 
players of that caliber, but I think Joe Burrow is going to win MVP this year. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially you factor in who he's throwing to. Uh, Chase Higgins, Boyd, and having a running back like Mixon. Um, right. My thing is, is that they are going to uh, feel their uh, losses on defense. Eli Apple's gone, Von Bell's gone, Jesse Bates is gone. I think that they're going to feel those on defense because the defense bailed them out a lot of times. It wasn't a great defense, but it was a defense that can seal up the for you right. um, in the clutch. So, yeah, I think that they're going to miss those players defensively. And finally, for my team, give me something about the Steelers. Steelers. Um, ah, I don't really – Steelers. Steelers, the Steelers. If I have to say anything about the Steelers, I think that T.J. Watt might break the record for sacks this season. If I had to choose anything about Steelers, T.J. Watt breaking the record for sacks. Well, I hope that's true. I have two for the Steelers because they're my team. One is that they finished second in the division. I know they're in the same division as the Bengals and Ravens, but the Ravens, the Steelers have always had their number. I know Lamar's back and stuff, but all the Bengals, Joe Burrow could miss a bit. Would not be surprised if the Steelers are in the division. And the other one is that George balls out. I'm not saying he's going to be top 10, but saying that he proves that he can be a number one receiver. So that was the AFC North. So we're going to move to the NFC North. Give me something positive or a prediction about the first season, the post-Rodgers era in Green Bay. Um, I think Jordan Love is going to show that he is going to do just fine. I think a lot of people, I think Jordan, Jordan, did I say Jordan Poole? Jordan Love. Jordan Love is going to uh, showcase that he's a decent quarterback. I think a lot of people, especially fans in Green Bay, are kind of a little bit up in arms about him. He hasn't even played yet. Y'all drafted him. He's been sitting this entire time. I don't think it's going to be much of a challenge for him. He's, it was kind of the same thing when the Packers drafted Aaron Rodgers to sit behind Brett Favre for a little bit. And, when, of course, when Aaron Rodgers took over, things went smooth. Of course, you know they wish they went one more than one Super Bowl. But I think Jordan Love's going to be just fine. I'm not thinking that the Packers are going to make the playoffs, but Jordan Love is going to have a definite – he's definitely going to have a decent season. He's going to show a lot of promise. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, is that he's going to prove that he's the quarterback of the future for the Packers. So what is the prediction you have for the Chicago Bears? Ah, Chicago Bears, good old Chicago. Justin Fields, I think if I had to choose anything about the Bears and what to look most to for, look look forward to most next season for them, is Justin Fields just being, I think Justin Fields being in the running for maybe, or maybe finishing top five in passing yards. I think we glossing over his rushing yards a lot, and that's because the O-line was terrible. And he didn't really have any weapons to throw to. He has weapons now. And hopefully he has more time in the pocket to actually show off his passing ability. At Ohio State, Justin Fields had 
insane. Of course, he had the weapons. Ohio State is a football juggernaut, and just the, the weapons that they put out. And I think next season, Justin Fields will have more time to get to his weapons, Darnell Mooney being one of them, newly acquisitioned. So I think he's going to be top five in passing yards. Yeah, I think that my prediction is Fields and Moore become one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos in the league. Um, just finally that Fields has been given the keys. He finally has a better line and he actually has a true number one receiver. And we've seen DJ Moore be a successful wide receiver in the NFL. What is the prediction you have for the Detroit Lions? Detroit Lions are going to the playoffs. They've been like that, that fan base. When Dan Campbell was first hired as the head coach, I was a little skeptical. I was like, like some of the things he says, the the biting off kneecaps, the the crying, being emotional. But that's the kind of thing you want to coach. Like the players respect him. They they play their hearts out for him, and they are right there. They were so close last season. They are right there. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think mine is either Dan Campbell wins coach of the year, or people uh, Jameer Gibbs proves the doubters wrong of why. What were they doing in the draft? Right. So what do you have to say about the Vikings? Minnesota Vikings. I feel like the Minnesota Vikings are kind of like, I don't think the Minnesota Vikings are going to make the playoffs. I think they overreacted a lot with a lot of the things they did. I don't think you let Dalvin Cook go. I understand you didn't want to pay him, but I don't think you let Dalvin Cook. I don't think you let Harrison Smith walk. Uh, if they did let him walk or if they traded him, not. But I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I'm a fan of Kirk Cousins. I love Justin Jefferson, but I don't think they're making the playoffs. Yeah, mine is that Justin Jefferson breaks the single-season wide receiver receiving yard record, especially now that Adam Thalen is is gone. More touches. Because he's in Carolina now, so I think more touches. And he almost did it last year. I think he's going to do it this year. So moving on to the AFC South, this one can probably go quick. Texans, just what what's the prediction you have? Will Anderson, defensive rookie of the year. I think Will Anderson was a little slighted just a little bit because of uh, the guy that Detroit drafted, Aiden Hutchinson, uh, a couple years ago in regards to just his popularity. But Will Anderson at Alabama was absolutely insane. What he can do as a linebacker and also being a pass rusher, reading coverage. Will Anderson is a generational kind of linebacker, the kind of linebackers that are in the Hall of Fame. He definitely has that kind of trajectory. I feel like if he stays healthy, if he, of course, Pat, uh, comes out and being a great player, I think Will Anderson's going to win defensive rookie of the year. Yeah, mine is that um, I'm going to hop on the – I'm a strong boy. C.J. Stroud, I think he's, he's going to prove that he's uh, he was legit. I mean, he balled out at Ohio State, and as you said, Ohio State is a juggernaut. They produce these products, but C.J. Stroud was unreal, and I think that for the Texans to get these two guys in the same draft was a steal. What Absolutely. What do you have to say about the Titans? That they shouldn't have given up on Malik Willis. Like, you didn't even give him the opportunity. 
Um, but if I had to predict one thing about the Tennessee Titans is Derrick Henry's probably going to break records. I don't know. But uh, in all seriousness, Titans are not making the playoffs. I don't really know what they – what with DeAndre Hopkins. Signing DeAndre Hopkins, I think it's going to be just another episode of Julio Jones going there and not really producing much. Tannehill's still the yep. quarterback. I'm not that big of a fan of Tannehill. I don't think he's that great. He's shown time and time again when they have made the playoffs that he's just not the quarterback that you need for your team. D-Hop only going to – D-Hop going to Tennessee just told me that there wasn't really that many suitors for him, mainly because a lot of front offices think he's cooked or that he's washed, that he's old. But honestly, I just don't see the appeal. I don't see Tennessee doing pretty much anything. Yeah, I agree, and it's kind of hard because because of the, of the way that the running back landscape currently is. It's not like Derrick Henry could demand a trade or that the, the Titans could get assets back for right. a trade for Henry. Um, but my prediction is that, um, kind of like what you said, DeAndre Hopkins is, is going to underperform. Um, very reminiscent of Julio Jones, as you said, and I just don't really see it working out, especially whether it's Tannehill, whether it's Willis, whether it's Levis, whoever is throwing the ball. I don't really see it. Um, what do you have to say about the Colts? Colts. Jim Irsay pretty much ruined everything they probably worked for by tweeting what he did. So now you, there's no Jonathan Taylor, the best player on your team, one of the best young running backs in the league. I get it from both sides. Honestly, I think the NFL needs a better player, uh, player, just player representation in regards of helping these players get paid, helping running backs get paid. But if I have to choose, predict anything about the Colts, Anthony Richardson is going to shut a lot of people up. I think with young quarterbacks, we have forgotten that they have to get better. Like, you're not drafting a quarterback because they play like Peyton Manning and they're goats already. You're drafting a quarterback because you know they're going to be a work in progress. You're drafting off of the potential of what they can be. I think we get lost in the fact that we expect a lot of these quarterbacks to be great day one, especially quarterbacks like Anthony Richardson. Yes, he is not the most accurate, but he has a rocket launcher for an arm. And if I'm not mistaken, NFL teams have to hire quarterback coaches. So all this complaining about quarterbacks not being great when they're drafted, that's what the quarterback coach is for. I think Anthony Rich is going to shut a lot of people up. Unfortunately, he won't have Jonathan Taylor to do it, to make his rookie season as simple and easy as possible. But I think Anthony Rich is going to be, have a successful rookie season. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm going is I think Anthony Richardson is going to prove that he's the best quarterback in his draft class. I'm a big AR-15 believer. I mean, 6'4", like 240, like uh, trucking people fast as hell and can throw 80 yards like I'm throwing a Nerf football. And he could dunk a basketball. He has insane, he's an insane athlete. I mean, what can't he do? So the last in the AFC South, the Jaguars. Jaguars, uh, Jaguars are going back to the playoffs. Um, Trevor Lawrence is going to compete for an MVP award. 
not saying he's going to win it, but he's definitely going to compete. I think having having Travis Etienne, a player that he literally won a national championship with in college, just makes the NFL job just that tad bit easier, knowing that you have that close of a teammate with you in the NFL. So Trevor Lawrence is definitely going to compete for an MVP award. We'll probably finish top three. Yeah, I'd say Lawrence Dark Horse too, but mine is Calvin Rat. Calvin Ridley has a bounce back year and balls out with Trevor Lawrence. This isn't old Matt Ryan anymore. This is Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. He, they're going to get you some yards. I hope he stays off FanDuel, but I think Calvin Ridley is going to ball out. So moving on to the NFC South, um, these can go quick because I'm looking at these four teams, and I don't think any four teams, these four teams are going to be good. Um, the Buccaneers prediction. Uh, no playoffs. Like when you look at the Buccaneers on paper, outside of Baker Mayfield, I don't really see much appeal. Um, and matter of fact, if I can, Antoine Winfield will probably uh, become one of the, if not the best safety in the league. I'm a huge Antoine Winfield Jr. fan. He plays exactly like his father, just from the safety position. And he is a demon at the safety position. So if there's any highlight for the Buccaneers this season, it'll probably be Antoine Winfield. Yeah, I can see that. Mine is Mike Evans will request a trade. He's gonna be like, Look, I've dealt with I've dealt with Jameis. You guys gave me Brady for a little bit. I'm not having Baker or Trask. Get me out of here. I've won a ring for you guys. I've got my 10,000 yards and all that. Let me keep going, getting stats and rings with another team. Um, New Orleans Saints, what do you think? Uh, you look at the Saints, I think Michael Thomas will have a, a, a great comeback season. Um, we haven't seen Michael Thomas in a while, a lot of injuries, a lot of holding out, sitting out. But I think he'll probably – Finally put that all behind him, hopefully. And I think he's going to have a great season, great comeback season. Yeah, mine is Derek Carr will shut the haters up. He's in a bad situation in, you know, Vegas. Josh McDaniels is a dumb head coach. But now he goes to the Saints and he gets Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara and stuff. Not saying that those that skill position group isn't, better or on par with what they had this past year with the Raiders. But I think Henry and a coach not named Josh McDaniels will do well for Derek Carr. What do you have to say about the Carolina Panthers? Carolina Panthers, Bryce Young, rookie of the year. I think offensive rookie of the year. I think Bryce Young from the quarterback position, a lot of people worry about his height. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Bryce Young is an amazing quarterback. I think he's going to do just fine in Carolina. I think they have, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think he's going to put up insane numbers. So I'm going to go with Bryce Young offensive rookie of the year. I'm the opposite. I'm going Bryce Young will underperform expectations. I'm not saying he's going to suck for his career, but I just think this rookie season, I think that he's going to struggle and it's going to be, he's going to realize not everyone is in Alabama line and we're not playing Vanderbilt right. and stuff. And he's, I 
think he's going to underperform just this season. I'm not saying he's going to suck, but I'm just saying saying I think he's going to do a little less than what expectations are for him. Because for the Falcons, I'm going to go and say my prediction, Bajan Robinson is offensive rookie of the year. I, 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 I like that pick. Um, for the Falcons, I was thinking more or less of Desmond Ritter performing well and coming along as a quarterback. But Bijan Robinson is a hell of a running back. I definitely like that prediction. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Falcons, one prediction, other prediction I had written down is the Falcons will try to trade for a quarterback. They've been looking for, they were looking at Deshaun. They were looking at Lamar. I think that they, as soon as the first big-name quarterback becomes available, I think that they will go after him. Um, and now we're moving to the last division in the AFC West. Broncos country, let's ride. What do you have to say about Denver? I don't think they're going to do much better than they did last year. I know with Sean Payton being a coach now, you expect Russell Wilson to have a bounce back here. They say he lost some weight trying to get some of that athleticism back as he gets older. But I don't really see them having that bet, that much of a bounce back year. I'm not saying they're going to be worse. They're probably going to be middle of the pack. I think Russell Wilson's probably, Russell Wilson's going to have a decent year. I don't really think Sean Payton is going to change much of anything. So I'm going to probably just say that Denver's probably just have a mid-year. Yeah, I would. My prediction is Denver's going to be mid, but I think it's people are going to realize that Russell Wilson is a cook product, and it's not, not Sean Payton. That's it's, it wasn't Nathaniel Hackett that was the issue. It's not Sean Payton that's the issue this year. I think because the common denominator between those two would be Russell Wilson, and I think it's time to go home, Sierra. Um, what, so what do you have to say about the Raiders? Raiders. I live here in Vegas. Not a Raiders fan at all. But if I have to choose one thing about the Raiders, it'll be that Josh Jacobs will be heavily missed. If, if, as we all know, Josh Jacobs was at the facility shortly before the deadline, hoping to have a contract extension. They didn't get that extension. He left the city. So they say, according to multiple sources or whatever. But if he's not there to play and if he holds out, Jimmy Garoppolo, Devontae Adams, like, they they become one-dimensional. Josh Jacobs led the league in rushing. If Josh Jacobs is not there, I expect the Raiders to struggle. Even if he was there, I would still expect the Raiders to struggle because I don't really like Jimmy Garoppolo. But, yeah, Raiders are definitely going to struggle if Josh Jacobs is not there. He's going to be missed. Yeah, mine is Devontae Adams will demand a trade if Jacobs is there. Fonte Adams is going to be asked to do more. I'm not the biggest Derek Carr fan, but I do think Derek Carr is Jimmy G. Yep. Um, and just Josh McDaniels coach. I think Devontae is going to be like, I came here, do well, play with my former college teammate, play with a good running back, play with a good tight end. I don't see any of those anymore. Goodbye. So now what do you have to say? about the Chargers? I think the Chargers are going to be right back in the play. Matter of fact, no, I'm going to change that up. I think Brandon Staley, if that's the, their name, of the, I think Brandon Staley is going to get fired. Not necessarily it's going to be during the season. Could be after the fact. 
But I think Brandon Staley has made has had too many blunders as a head coach for a roster that talented to still be their coach. I think after what they did to let the Jaguars come back blowing, I think a 27-point lead or so, he should have been going after that. But if not, during the season, he's definitely being fired. Yeah, my prediction is Justin Herbert MVP. I can see that. I think he's going to ball out, and I think he's going to win MVP. Um, and mainly because we need to see how how this next team will do with a few more offseason losses from their roster. Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs. What's the prediction? Going to be contending again for a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, like that team, they're not going to miss a beat at all. Yeah, I mean, if I want to make a bold prediction, I'm just going to say that they won't make the Super Bowl. But then I look at the AFC and I can see glaring holes, and it's like, well, we've already seen what the Chiefs have done without Tyreek Hill, without all these other guys. I can't bet against it, so I'm going to say that um, Travis Kelsey breaks the tight end singles season receiving yard record. So now we'll move on to the NFC West, and I am going to start with the we'll start with the Los Angeles Rams. So my first prediction for the Los Angeles Rams is going to be that Cooper Cup will have a bounce back year. I think plenty of people have forgotten exactly what Cooper Cup did when he was healthy. I mean, Super Bowl MVP leading the league in receiving yards, receptions. He, you know, was getting touchdowns. I mean, last year he was balling out and stuff. I'm still a little interested to see what it looks like with Matt Stafford coming off of his injury and what exactly they're going to do. I know that they have the backup quarterback in Stetson Bennett and so on and so forth. Um, still really interested to see what Aaron Donald will do. I know that, that he was thinking about retiring, but at the end of the day, I mean, Cooper Cup, if you really think about it, I don't really think that outside of Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase and maybe just maybe Devontae Adams, that there are better receivers than Cooper Cup. So I'm going to go with Cooper Cup. Also, shout out Sony Michelle for, for basically getting drafted and then retiring. So that is my prediction for the Rams. And Mars, what is your prediction for the Rams? For the Rams, I would have to go and say that Kyron Williams will establish himself as the starting running back. He missed all of last season, I believe, with an injury. Kyron Williams, out of, uh, I want to say brain fart. I want to say, damn, where did Kyron Williams go? I want to say Notre Dame. I think he, I think it was Notre Dame. I could be wrong, but I think he's going to establish himself. I think himself. so. I think so. I think he's going to establish himself as the number one running back. Sonny Michelle retiring was insane, but this just opens the door more for Kyron to get those number one touches, especially in a league where the running back is a dime a dozen at this point. Yeah, I, 
I agree. Um, we're gonna move on to the Cardinals. I'll start first. They're gonna be the worst team in the league. They're gonna have the worst record. Um, no DeAndre Hopkins. James Conner isn't that great of a running back. I've cheered for him before. Um, Kyler Murray's coming off of an injury. Um, I know that they, you know, got a good guy. And then after Wilson, I believe is his name from Texas Tech. Um, for some reason, I always forget his first name. I know it's Wilson from Texas Tech. Um, Cliff Kingsbury is gone. Not really that impressed by their new coach, Jonathan Gannon. Um, leaving Philly and going to an even worse offense in the Cardinals. I think that they're going to be the worst team in the league. And if they're not, after this season, they're going to start looking into the future because if they are the worst team, Kyle Murray is gone because they will get Caleb Williams. What do you think about Cardinals? I don't think Isaiah Simmons is going to be a Cardinal for much longer. When Isaiah Simmons came out of college at Clemson, he was known as a linebacker that had all of these qualities, all of these amazing traits, and just everybody thought that he's going to be just a superstar. He's, he's a stud athlete. But I kind of feel like he's underperformed since being in the NFL, and I think he's coming up on that rookie extension. I don't think they're going to give him one just because of his play. He hasn't been the healthiest. Not necessarily that he's a buzz because he's still young, but I don't think that he'll be on the Cardinals going forward. Uh, and then just to piggyback off of what you said, the Cardinals have no direction. Like, they were really big on Kyler Murray maturing maturing and being, like, an actual an adult and being a, just a better person before being a better player. But when you pretty much gut the offense, there's no receivers. The defense is the defense. Uh, you move on from Cliff Kingsbury, which was the right thing to do, but there's just no identity there. So I don't, that's just, yeah, there's just nothing going on in Arizona right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, but the next team we're going to do, second to last team, is, is the Seattle Seahawks. And I'm going to say, I think JSN, DK, will be a top three wide receiver trio in the NFL. They're definitely not being the Bengals trio, but I think that they will be a top three to five trio in the NFL. If Geno plays like he played last year and Jayden continued at college. What do you have to say about the Seahawks? Yeah, I think I think uh, Jackson Smith with the addition of Jackson Smith and Jib, but I think the Seattle Seahawks are going to be right back where they were last season, right back in the playoffs. I think Geno Smith is probably, I think Geno Smith is going to throw over 30, 3,200 yards. I'm going to go with 3,200 yards for Geno Smith. I think now it gives the opportunity for DK Metcalf to probably get more touches because there's now more, a little bit more of options. The offense has a little bit more variety. And it's ultimately easier on Geno because Geno doesn't have to force anything. I feel like last season, outside of Lockett and Metcalf, who Metcalf is a nine-yard. He runs a lot of nine-yard routes. I mean, nine routes. And that can get a little one-dimensional. It happened with San Francisco, although San Francisco just has a hell of a defense. I think now with JSN being there as some – and then also North Fant, tight end. I think they drafted a running back as well. And then their def defense, well, not drafted a running back, they drafted a cornerback. So defensively, they're going to be solid. I think Geno Smith is going to throw for over 3,200, though. Yeah, I really like what the Seahawks are doing. And now for our last team, the 49ers, this is my 
hottest take. Sam Darnold will be their starting quarterback by the end of the season. I'm a Sam Darnold believer. Purdy's got a surgery. Trance is apparently a cook product. Sam Darnold, I mean, he's still young. He's like 25, 26 still. He was he was the man coming out of college at USC. And then he goes to the Jets, deals with one of the worst head coaches ever, Adam Gase, the hyper-drive offense, whatever. And then he gets traded to the Panthers, which the Jets were obviously worse off trading Darnold because they had Zach Wilson. But then he goes to the Panthers, battles with time between P.J. Walker and Baker Mayfield, a few different coaches, you know, Christian McCaffrey requesting a trade and stuff. I think Sam Darnold still has juice left in him. And especially if there is any quarterback or any coach that you would want to play for as a quarterback and other than Andy Reid, it's probably Kyle Shanahan. He likes court, he likes very versatile players. You know, they have a wide receiver that can run, can block, they have a running back that can catch. They, you know, have it all on offense. And Sam Donald, very underrated runner to quarterback just because he's big. He's sneakily fast. Not just saying that because he's a big, heavy white dude, but he is sneaky fast. Go look at the tape. Um, but I think that he's going to do well because Purdy's coming off that surgery. Trey Lance isn't that that good, apparently. I think Donald goes in, goes out, and he's – yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go with Brandon Ayuk entering that top ten best receiver conversation. I think the past couple of seasons we kind of forget about how good Brandon Ayuk is. Uh, I just feel like he doesn't get as, as enough touches as he should with the talent that he has. Brandon Ayuk is a number one receiver on a lot of NFL franchises, so I think next year we're probably going to see the best of Brandon Ayuk, and he's going to enter that top ten best wide receiver conversation. Yeah, I can definitely see that kind of Jamar. He's like the Higgins, Higgins to Debo Samuel's Jamar Chase. Yeah. In a way that. So, well, that was the episode of Not Your Normal Read. We did uh, 25 and under draft for the NBA, NBA stock exchange, and then NFL predictions. Mark. Plugging you want to plug, tell people where to find you. Go ahead. Uh, you know, Twitter's still the same at Mars Joint. I'm going to be way more active on there, trying to, but you know, work and shit like that. So, you know, life, life be life. And also, going to try to now that I'm in the new spot, going to be more active with my show, the No Bias Podcast, on both Apple and Spotify. So you can expect more episodes. Reed, got to get you on there ASAP, immediately ASAP, Rocky. But, yeah, that, that's what you can find me at. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you, Mars. And uh, starting this coming week, you can find new episodes Not Your Normal every Tuesday and Thursday. And I will have you back on, Mars. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime.